celebrating 10 years of bringing you stories and insights from legends around the world of sports. It's Thursday Night Tailgate. No one gets you inside the mind of the greatest legends in the game like we do. Plus, check out our spotlight on the positive segment to hear the great things players are doing in their communities. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show with your hosts, Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Hey, go get them, guys. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where your favorite NFL legends live. Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazeri back with you for the next couple of hours. So as we always say, sit back, relax, let us take your mind off everything else going on in your life. Bob, happy Pro Bowl week, my friend. How are you? Hey, Chris. Same to you. What's new, man? Bob, as a Steelers fan, I'm both stunned and disappointed to have to say that the Bengals have made it to the Super Bowl. You and I have been on and off the Bengals as the best team in the AFC this season. When they were 5-2 and two and coming off a blowout win over the Ravens, we thought, hey, maybe these guys are the best team in the AFC. Then they lost to the Jets and got blown out by the Browns, and we said, nah, these guys are just pretenders. We hopped back on when they blew out the Raiders and my Steelers the next two weeks. Then we felt fooled again when they got blown out by the Chargers the following week and backed that up by losing to the 49ers. Then they won three in a row, including another blowout win over the Ravens, and then beat the Chiefs. Then in the playoffs, we've seen them beat the number one and number two seeds on the road. So, Bob, I got to ask you, what do you think about the Bengals' win over the Chiefs and the run they've been on? Well, Chris, I think you're right about Cincinnati. And I, I know you you were like me, uh, very high on them at the beginning. They said, wow, this this probably, I remember you asking me, and you know, are the Bengals the best team in the AFC? At that point, I thought, yeah, they're right up there, if not they, you know. And then they had that, like you said, there was, uh, that little stretch where it was really bad. I remember tweeting about it. I said, we don't have to worry about this team. They just, there's too many, you know, gaps because uh, you can't lose games like that and expect to go to a Super Bowl. And, and here they are, they're in a Super Bowl. Uh, it, it, but it's very, very symbolic of the NFL in general this year, Chris. Just the way it's been the Jekyll and Hyde thing of it. So um, am I shocked that they made it? No. I told people before these games two weeks ago, I, I would be surprised. Can you imagine, Chris, if you had said Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Kansas City, and Buffalo, not one of them would be in the Super Bowl? Right. Yeah, <laughs> no crazy? kidding. Yeah. Those four that's, right that's there. A... I don't know if you could get that, if you could wager on that, that they not, not <laughs> one of the four would be in the Super Bowl. But, you know, uh, I get, you know, so, I mean, it's not probably what the, uh, the networks wanted, Cincinnati and the Rams, but, uh, you know, there was close games throughout the playoffs, Chris, and these are the two teams that are still left standing here. Bob, should Chiefs fans be worried at all since, you know, if you go back, obviously you go back a couple of seasons, they win the Super Bowl. They get right back in the Super Bowl last year, and then they lose. And now this year they get to the AFC Championship game and they lose. So it's, it's sort of like they're taking a, a step backwards each year. Should they be worried about where this team is headed? I would be a little worried. Chris, I mean, as you know, I picked them to win the Super Bowl this year. Uh, that, uh, you know, in a rematch versus Tampa, that didn't happen. But the Chiefs, 
you know, to lose a game like that, there's no way they should have lost that game. I mean, you're at home. You, uh, you know, you have momentum on your side. You got all the superstars and they just came out flat. I mean, if you had told anyone that uh, a Mahomes led offense would score, you know, just three points in the second half of a big game, like including an overtime period, uh, you know, and Mahomes, uh, that game was on him, Chris. You, you could examine it any way you want, and he even admitted himself, you know, that's all on me. And uh, Andy Reid made some bad decisions right before the half. That was the ball game there. You know, that was kind of a crazy thing. They're at the one-yard line right before halftime. You know, you just kick a field goal, Chris, and they win that game there. And they came away with nothing. It was a bizarre game. And uh, But, yeah, back to your question. I'd be a little concerned because, you know, a guy like Kelsey's still playing at a high level. He's getting older. You don't know how long, you know, Andy Reid's got left. Sure, they got the young quarterback in place for a long time. But that defense, Chris, and I've always been like them on the Packers, the Saints, and the Chiefs over these last 10 years. You know, in a big game, they're going to give up the big touchdown. And that's, uh, as you say, you know, not the best defense wins championships, but timely defense wins championships. They don't have it. Bob, some of the other news from this week around the league. Surprised that Tom Brady decided to call it quits this week, especially without announcing it, you know, giving teams. He didn't, he didn't do the victory lap, right? He didn't announce this is going to be my last year and, and get to do the victory lap around the league. You surprised he decided to hang him up? Well, I was asked by a, a, another person the other day on a radio station, Chris, uh, the same question, you know, uh, well, well, did you think, you know, Brady would come back for another year? This is before they lost, you know, and I'm saying here, this guy's in the MVP uh, consideration. He's still playing at a high level. His body's in great shape. He still loves the game. You have to say, you know, win or, win or lose, he's probably going to come back. But, you know, I think he had a just a... You know, when it's all said and done, Chris, and he didn't, he didn't lose much, but you know, after a grueling season like they all are, and then to come up short like he did, um, you know, I mean, he has to go, he, he needed that, just that week to kind of look back and say, let me look at my life, let me look at this, and, and all those people last week that had him already retired, and you know, he said his weekend was totally ruined because he hadn't made no decisions, but I just think he needed those extra few days to say, you know, let let it, let the smoke clear. Let me make a decision. And I think he came to the point where, you know, I had enough. You know, I, I he, he mentioned something about commitment. You know, he is, you know, that's the type of guy, if he can't come back doing it at 110%, he's not going to do it. I think he just had any little slight doubt, which obviously came in his mind, that did it for him. And I, I uh, so I'm not really surprised. I think he was always, these last five years, you could say, he was kind of a, a year-to-year thing, and then I think over the last year it came a day-to-day thing. So uh, what can we say about his career? I mean, you know, I'm glad he went out on top, Chris. Many guys like you know, especially in baseball, they don't go out that pretty, but he did. Yeah, no, 100%. So I'm sure it was a tough decision. To your point, it's something we've been asking at the end of every season for the last few. And... um like he said, you know, if I'm not going to be all in, then I'm not going to be in at all. And uh, I give him a lot of credit for that. And kudos to him for uh, the greatest you know, quarterback or player career ever. And uh, he gets to go out to your point on his own terms. And he went out still playing at, uh, like you also mentioned, at an MVP level. That, that is uh, the way we want to see our heroes go out. Well, I want to get your thoughts also on the Brian Flores situation Obviously, we, we've seen them, him this week, uh, sue the league, 
name some things going on with the Dolphins. He and Hugh Jackson coming out saying that they were each paid to lose games as head coaches, trying to, you know, we heard the Dolphins years ago, a couple of years ago, right? Tank for Tua, and, and they did, and they got him. Um, mm-hmm. Your thoughts on the, not just on the Brian Flores situation, but as a as an open position now as a head coach for the Miami Dolphins, does that position become a little less um, enticing for the next guy to come in there and want to take that job? I don't really think so, Chris. I, I think any qualified guy looking for an NFL, you know, it's still it's still a good job, no matter how you look at it. And that's another team, you know, that uh, the fans are getting a little restless down there. You know, there was a lot of uh, expectations over these last two or three years that weren't met. Um, so, I mean, I don't think it would, ref- if you're, you're a candidate, you wouldn't refrain from, you know, going through the process and, uh, you know, trying to put your stamp on it. Uh, with Flores, I mean, Flores came right out and said, look, you know, I was hurt. And uh, he took it a step further with the lawsuit. And I don't want to get into a whole political discussion about it. But, you know, I don't know the merit of it all. I mean, I've read a lot of the things. The Giants came out with a timeline of everything, explaining exactly what he did. It does not match up anywhere near what he said. So, you know, I don't think we know the total situation yet. But as far as new candidates looking to go to Miami, I don't think they would be uh, sidestepped by all this. Hi, right, Bob. Let's switch gears and get into our Unsung Hero of the Week award. Who is a uh, maybe a little bit lesser known player that uh, really impressed you in either the AFC or the NFC Championship game? You know, this one to me was a no-brainer, Chris. I'm watching the uh, the LA game, and uh, you know, you saw uh, when Tyler Higby went down for the Rams, and that was pretty bad. You know, because this is one of their better players, and you just hate to see it in a championship game like that. But uh, his replacement, Kendall Blanton, comes in now. Kendall Blanton, Chris. <laughs> You gotta love you, you and my, the two of us just love this kind of guy. Again, undrafted free agent. If you go and look up like his bio, any place, he's been cut and signed to more practice squads than and you could imagine, and, and pretty much all by the Rams. But this is a couple year process, you know, practice squad cut, practice squad cut. Pack. So he had caught in his two full seasons, I think he had caught four passes. For the Rams, so you know he got into a bunch of games, but only caught four passes in two years in regular season games. Well, what does he do in place of Higby? He catches five in the game the other day, uh, you know, for 57 yards, including one 20 yard one, which kept the momentum going in a very close game. So to me, that was a, a no brainer. Chris, undrafted free agent out of Missouri, Kendall Bland, who uh, blows away his career numbers in one game. Yeah, love that. Love those guys. To your point, we always love the undrafted free agent guys that step up and get an opportunity and then shine. So kudos to Kendall Blanton. For me, my unsung hero of the week is B.J. Hill of the Bengals. Here's a guy who was a third-round pick by the Giants back in 2018. He was a three-star rated player coming out of high school, played his college ball at NC State, where over his four seasons there, he had a total of eight sacks. But then he turned things on at the senior bowl and impressed the coaching staff and the scouts there. Continued to turn heads at the combine. Like I say, the Giants end up selecting him in the third round using a pick that they got from Tampa Bay uh, when they uh, you know, traded uh, JPP over to Tampa. 
He had a good rookie season for the Giants, about five and a half sacks. But in 2019 and 2020, he only had one sack in each of those seasons. He ends up getting traded to the Bengals last offseason in exchange for center Billy Price. Well, he found his mojo again. Coming off the bench this season, five and a half sacks during the regular season. Had a half a sack on Sunday along with five tackles, a pass defended, an interception, and another quarterback hit. And his interception came late in the third quarter, and a sack came at the start of the fourth quarter. So both during a uh, crucial point in the game. So that's why he is my unsung hero of the week. It's time for another edition of Bob's Take. So, Bob, tell us, what's on your mind tonight? Okay, let's get into this week's edition of Bob's Take. And, Bob, I want to start by getting your thoughts on the Washington football team's new nickname, the Commanders. What's your take on the new name? Well, all this time we've been waiting for them to come up with a name. They actually played football with no name, which to me was the most outrageously brutal thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, these guys are going to look back years from now and say, what was the name of your team? They had no name, you know. So, uh, <laughs> But I know, you know, a guy I know, Mike, that I was having a discussion with, big Redskins fan, he was a sports writer, you know, he says, I've been a Redskins fan for over 50 years, you know, and since Jack Kent Cook died, it's been such a struggle. He says it's a laughing stock now in everything they do, you know. I mean, no matter what they, they're called, you know. I just think it's, you know, the commanders, you couldn't do anything better. The ironic part of it, Chris, is, you know, you change your name from the Redskins to a new name of the people that used to kill the the Indians, the call commanders. So, I, you know, you can get into another, you know, political, philosophical thing. Uh, I could make, and I did this on, on another talk show before, you know, we went through nicknames of colleges and pro teams, you can make a case for almost 80% of the names, you know, and uh, that could be done away with, or, or there's a reason it would offend somebody, but I just think, you know, it, the whole thing is kind of crazy. When I always thought Redskins, Chris, I always thought they were that warrior-type mentality that was respectful. It, 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 uh, it, went, it went more to the racist toughness uh, and things like that. And I think almost all the old school Redskin fans feel the same. It was, it was, uh, and, and since then, they've lost a lot of fans, believe it or not, because of this thing. And they come out, come out with the commanders now and, uh, they, uh, they missed the mark. I'll just leave it at that. Next, Bob. Josh McDaniel has been, uh, named the new Raiders head coach. We saw him leave the Patriots for the Broncos head coaching job back in 2009. And, as you always say, some guys are just meant to be coordinators. Is he a guy that you think is going to be successful the second time around as a head coach? What's your take? I, you know, to me, he's still a coordinator, Chris. I don't, you know, he had his shot. You know, I mean, he went 8-8, eight and eight, I think, in his first year in Denver and then really stunk it up the second year. You know, usually the great coaches, they, they get it done in that second year or you see a marked improvement. How could you go... From eight and eight to three and nine. I mean, I mean, I know some things might have happened, but you know, this is a guy. You know, he already had his shot. He went for the money, didn't work. Come back here now. You know, I know it's a money grab. I know that, and I know, you know, it's probably so attractive to these guys to double, triple their salaries, maybe even more. Um, but you know, I wish the guy luck. Uh, but I think every team, you know, if you're in 
you got to know the leadership capabilities of who you're dealing with, and, and some of them are there, and some just probably, you probably hire better guys that have leadership qualities. It's what's best for your own team. And uh, I guess at this point, the Raiders say, you know, let's stay on the offensive side with a guy like Carr and see what this guy can do. But, uh, you know, I, I still think he's got to really prove it to me and have a good year right off the bat with them. One more, Bob. Here we are, like we say, Pro Bowl week. Is that a game that um, the NFL still needs to play? I mean, players are opting out frequently. You know, obviously no one wants to get hurt in, a, in an all-star game like this. Is it a game that's run its course? Should it be replaced by something else or just done with altogether? What's your take? I, I think it ran its course 20 years ago, Chris. So, you know, you know, I mean, you've been watching it over the years and it, it became a gathering in Hawaii. And then when they came up with rules where, you know, don't really touch the next guy and put all these different rules into place that made it a little less, you know, they, they, what they probably should do, Chris, in my opinion, is, is have a flag football game on the beach. You know, why not, man? You know, you know, if you don't want guys getting hurt at all, why not just, you know, have interviews with them between, uh, you know, uh, plays or have them play volleyball or something like that and make it a, you know, a fun activity. But you're right. The way these guys pull out, baseball is the worst. But, uh, you know, it's the same kind of thing here. Guys are tired. You know, do they really want to play another football? No. And uh, I don't know. Maybe you have a... Uh, I know they do a lot of competition and everything, but make it a fun weekend, but don't call it a football game and don't force and charge people to watch it. <laughs> yeah, that last part is especially. All right, there you go, folks. That's this week's edition of Bob's Take. We've got a jam-packed show for you tonight with our guests, John Wooden, Tony Collins, Ed Marinero, and Blaine Bishop. We'll be right back on the other side of this real quick station break with our first guest, John Wooden. This is Reggie Kelly former Cincinnati Bengals and Atlanta Falcons tight end. And you're listening to TNT, Thursday Night Tailgate. Brace yourself for the explosion. All right, now back in making his fourth appearance with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is former Dolphins defensive back Sean Wooden. Let me remind you about Sean's background. He's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, played his college ball at Notre Dame, where he famously batted down a last-second pass from Charlie Ward of the then number one-ranked Florida State Seminoles in 1993 to preserve a 31-24 victory in South Bend. While at Notre Dame, he earned his bachelor's degree in computer science. He was drafted in the sixth round by the Miami Dolphins in 1996. He played safety and defensive back in the NFL from 96 to 2003, all but one of those seasons with the Dolphins. He played one season in Chicago in 2000. For his career, he had 281 tackles, eight fumble recoveries, Five interceptions, and he forced one fumble, and we are honored he is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Sean, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming Hi, back Sean. on the show. Hey, Chris and Bob. But hey, hey, you cheated me out of a year. I know I was on injured reserve, but hey, I still get pension for that year, so 2004. <laughs> 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 All right, we don't want to cheat you out of that pension year for sure. I promise you that. Yeah, I don't I don't want them to come back and say, hey, you know. <laughs> Indeed. Sean, I want to start out our time with you tonight by going back to your college days. I read that you dreamed of going to an Ivy League school, running track, and being an Olympic track athlete like Carl Lewis. But then you ended up visiting Notre Dame, and somehow Lou Holtz convinced you to go there and play football. How did he change your mind? Hey, it was, it was weird. It was strange. You know, um, I, I didn't even realize. And, you know, it wasn't Lou Holtz that really changed my mind. It was actually Joe Paterno. Um, 
you know, I, I, my, my coach talked me into going to a, a football camp during one of the summers at, at Penn State. And again, like I said, I was a track guy. I was pretty fast. So we go and we run the 40 there. And Joe Paterno pulled me over to the side. And, you know, before then, you know, I wasn't being recruited by any of the major schools, really. You know, it, you know, the only thing, the only people that have really shown interest were, you know, the D2 schools and also some, some Ivy League schools. So, you know, Joe Paterno started. And then, you know, once Penn State came on board, Joe Paterno, you know, offered me a scholarship. Then they all just started, you know, down the line, you know. So it was really Joe Paterno that actually changed my mind in the, in the playing football some way, you know, saying that I, I had an opportunity to be able to, you know, if I went to Ivy League school, I still would have had to, you know, I would have still had some bills. But if I went to Penn State, <laughs> if I went to Penn State or, you know, any of these other schools that were offering full rides, then, you know, I didn't have to pay for anything. I had a training table. I was able to eat <laughs> and, and do those things. So it, it wasn't pretty hard to, to make that decision. So since Paterno had had a big influence on you and, and got that ball rolling, how did you not end up at Penn State and, and being at Notre Dame instead? Oh, trust me, that, that, that was very hard. I mean, I still joke to this day with my, uh, a good buddy of mine, teammate, or two good buddies, actually. Penn State guys that I played at uh, the Dolphins with OJ McDuffie and Troy Drayton, and actually OJ was my host, was one of my hosts. So I said I always tell him that I was the one that got away, but <laughs> it, it, it was difficult. It, it was very difficult, but you know, Notre Dame. Um, you know, of course, I'm biased and everything. I think it was the best thing for me, um, not only as a you know, as a football player, as a student, as a person, dad, uh, uh, you know, a husband. You know, it, it was just, it created the whole package of, you know, who I am today. So it, it's, uh, I think that was probably, you know, the best thing that happened to me is, you know, choosing Notre Dame over Penn State, even though I know that if I ended up at Penn State, it was still, you know, that's still a great university. Sean, like I mentioned in your intro, you saved the game for Notre Dame back in 93 against number one Florida State. You batted down that pass from Heisman Trophy winner Charlie Ward, but most people probably don't know is that you tore your ACL in that game, but you kept playing. Talk about that play and yeah. how you were able to play through a torn ACL. Um, you know, I, when you're young, you're dumb. <laughs> See, that's what I equated to. Didn't even know any better. You know, I just thought, you know, I was, it was, you know, thought it might have been just ripped a little, even though there's no such thing as being ripped a little when you tear your ACL. Um, but you know, just got taped up. I, I, it was a couple couple minutes before they were kicking the onside kick. I was in the front row and they kicked it to my side and the ball just dribbled. I didn't want to attack it because it was, you know, taking some crazy hops, so I wanted it to come to ten yards, get to me. And by the time it got to me, you know, split second they hit me. And none of my other players at Notre Dame helped me out, actually. You know, they were supposed to come block, but you know, if you watch the film, you see a couple of them holding them around, you know, put their hands up to their mouth because they, they knew I got hit pretty hard. Um, but was able to hold on to the ball. So eventually we went back into the game. Uh, you know, it was, I knew it was an important game. Didn't realize how, you know, it was a game of the century or anything like that. I just knew that, you know, Florida State was ranked number one. We were ranked number two and I wanted to be in there. If, you know, we had opportunities to, to close it out. And, you know, after I knocked down that pass, Actually, one of my teammates jumped on my back in the celebration, which tore the ACL completely. Ooh. So, yeah. 
So not only was I injured before the play, I got completely injured after the play. <laughs> Brutal. And Florida State would go on to win the national championship that season only because the following week you guys lost to number 17 Boston College. Was that one no, of the it, it was because it, it was because the coaches loved Bobby Bowden. Bobby Bowden was a great guy, he was a great coach. Everybody loved him. He had that southern <laughs> accent and he never won a championship before that. That's the reason why. <laughs> so losing losing to Boston College the next week, was that just an emotional letdown? What happened that next week? Oh, completely. Completely. I mean, hey, I have no idea. I wasn't at practice for the game. I actually had surgery that uh that morning uh, of the game and I was in the infirmary throwing things at the at the T V screen when I was watching it. Uh, I didn't make the trip or anything like that, so yeah, I mean, I was a spectator looking at it myself and just wondering what the what the heck went on because you know that wasn't the teammate the team the team that I I knew that I practiced with that whole season. And, you know, like you said, it was an emotional letdown. You know, we we got past you know it was David versus Goliath in that game. You know, Florida State was one of the best teams or the best team that ever played the game. You know, leading up to it, it was the first college game day ever. ESPN, um, and you know, it was just. Literally a, an emotional letdown. You know, we we uh we went in there and didn't know didn't do what we had to do. You know, we had a couple of people banged up, but you know, injuries is not an excuse in the game of football. Bob, questions for Sean? Yeah, thanks for joining us, Sean. I want to take you back to your high school days. I was checking out some of the uh, the high schools back then. You know, the Abington High School. You, Eddie George. Uh, you know, and and, I, and we've mentioned on the show a lot, Sean, about the the football competitiveness in Pennsylvania at the high school level. I mean, I went to school in New Haven in the '90s, and and uh, their team would play a lot of the, uh, as you know, the Pennsylvania colleges, Edinburgh, your Cutstowns, your teams like that, and they were just so good and tough. And you know, a lot of these kids that were playing for those teams just were the ones that just couldn't get into Pitt or Penn State or whatever. But uh, talk about your experience there at Abington and the competitiveness of Pennsylvania football on the whole. Oh, I think Pennsylvania football is very competitive. I mean, you look throughout, you know, NFL lineups and college, great college players, you know, you'll see a ton or ton of uh, Pennsylvania athletes in there. Um, you know, back then it was it was so interesting, you know, because you know those those kids that you were talking about, kids I played with, we, we you know we used to call them swingers because. They really didn't have a, they were great athletes, great players, but didn't really have a position where they're too small to be a linebacker, but they, you know, did just as well, or they were, you know, was too small to be, whatever it was, they weren't the prototypical size, but they had the heart. We, you know, I like to say, uh, you know, Pennsylvania football is all blue collar football will hit you in the mouth and line back up. But, you know, it's, it's, it was amazing, you know, some of the athletes that I played against or played with, um, I didn't even realize that Sean McDermott was a, 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 a opposing safety when I was running back in high school. You know, I played against. Um, you know, I think I re- I'm trying to find some film of me running them over so I can just send it up to <laughs> Buffalo. But it's, I can't, I can't seem to get those films. They're back. To, they're not, they're not really available. It's not like they were on VHS or anything like that. They were, they were literally probably on eight millimeter film. And sure, Chris, I think you're going to get lucky. Yeah. 
Chris had mentioned the on-the-field stuff at Notre Dame. I want to talk a little bit more about the athletics and the on-campus experience. Uh, you know, when you got there, Sean, I mean, this is a place where athletes actually do attend classes. It's tough. Yeah. It's, uh, there are a lot of expectations. How did you uh, find the transition to it, and uh, was it really tough at the beginning? Oh, yeah. I mean, when when I went to college, it was it was an eye-opener. Um, you know, I was an A student in high school, tested very well in AP classes, all that. So, right. you know, in order to be able to get in there, then you do have to be, you know, a well-rounded, you know, student-athlete. And they literally put student first. My first year, I was an engineering major. I was taking 18 credit hours my first semester, like in playing football, which was literally impossible to do. Um, mm. I had to, and I, to the point of I had to drop because it was just that intense, you know. I still had the 15 credit hours, but it was it, it was intense. It was very difficult. My major changed. I was an electrical engineer major, and I was like, I, I can't, I can't, I won't be able to do this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I literally yeah. won't. So. You know, I changed over to computer science and got my degree in computer science and computer engineering, but it was, uh, I'm not saying no, that was easier. It was just the, you know, there was no, no leeway. You know, we had labs. If you had a computer, if you had an electrical engineering lab or a chemistry lab or anything like that, that, that was precedent over football. But you had to remember, and Lou Holtz made sure I understood this, I had to remember who was actually paying the bills. So, right. I, cu- I couldn't slack off in football because of academics. You can't slack off of, you know, because of, you can't use academics as an excuse to not be there, not show up. So you have to make time. You have to be able to, you know, like I said, you have to be a student and you have to be an athlete. And sometimes that was a, you know, you had to give up some things in the student life or what a regular student would love to do. And I always tell you know, friends of mine now that didn't play football at Notre Dame that I'm still friends with, I would have loved to just been to go back for it, just been a regular student and just see and you know and get as much from Notre Dame as you could because that's very difficult as a student athlete. I hate to say it, but there are sacrifices. Sean, <laughs> like I mentioned in your intro, during your NFL career, you recovered eight fumbles. I imagine it can get nasty on the bottom of a pile when you recover a fumble. Did anything crazy or scary ever happen to you at the bottom of one of those piles wrestling for the football? Oh yeah, all eight of them probably. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's 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 dirty down there. I mean, you're doing things or trying to do or they're trying to do things to you that you know you don't like to admit. You wouldn't admit to your mother or anybody like that, your kids. Um, but yeah, there's there there's. I, I, I just remember one time I was literally screaming at the ref to try to get people off me because I, I think that someone was trying to, one person was trying to twist my ankle the other way and make my foot, you know, face the Ooh. other way. Another guy was doing some stuff to my middle section that <laughs> I'm not going to be crude and everything. And then another guy was literally trying to like, rip, like put his fingers in my mouth. I was about to bite like and just rip my jaw down. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> it, it was it was basically anything that they could do to you, anything that you could think of would happen in that. You know, biting, kicking, clawing, you know, Brutal. whatever they could do to get that ball away from. You. And remember back then, that's when you know people were jumping on. Positive. There were there were the rules that we have now for player safety. 
And Sean, in your second season, 1997, week one, you guys play the Colts. You pick up two passes from Jim Harbaugh. You're trying to get the films of those and send those to Jim to remind him every year when Notre Dame plays Michigan what you did to him? I, I, I won't lie. I would love to do that. Now, I, I was kind of hoping that maybe he would have been the next coach or adult. That way I would have had it open. And maybe he would have gave me some free tickets or something. <laughs> but no, yeah. yeah. Uh, I do have film of those. I do have film of those, but uh, um, I, I, I learned a lot. I remember my, my rookie year um, when I got a pick from Drew Bledsoe. Uh, you know, you know, the older guys on the team, the veterans and all that stuff, they actually convinced me to try to get the ball signed by Drew after the game. And let me tell you, <laughs> you don't go up to it. <laughs> and I'm like, you think he'll be cool with that? This is my first, like, this is one of my first picks. This is my first hit. You, you serious? Like, all naive. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, man. He'll do, he's a great guy. Like, he'll understand. He'll do it for you. Trust me. Man, you don't do that to us. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go up to a closing court and try to get him to sign an interception. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Sean, I read one of your favorite parts about playing in the NFL was when you guys had an opportunity to play on Monday Night Football. Talk about why that was special for you. Well, I'm telling you, Monday Night. So, you know, your parents, every, every one of your parents watches the game. Everybody that plays in the NFL, uh, you know, in you know, just the regular, you know, everybody in America is watching Monday Night Football. You know, when the Dolphins or, you know, the Bears, and I was playing with the Bears, when we played on Sunday, it was only Bears fans watching that game or only Dolphins fans watching that game or the opposing fans, whoever you were playing. But on Monday night, everybody watches Monday Night Football. So it, it just made that more intense. It made it more exciting, The you know, all the theatrics that the, you know, ABC or ESPN or whoever, you know, you know, televising the game at that time was doing. I mean, it, it was big time. I remember when, you know, we were playing and John Madden was still, you know, announcing Monday Night Football. He came to one of our practices and he said, Sean, come over. And I'm like, whoa. It's like, John Madden knows who the hell I am. <laughs> he called me by my first name. You know, that I was like on a high name. I'm like, this guy knows. Oh, and that's when Madden was out. And, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be on the cover of Madden, but just for John Madden to know my name was like I was like whoa, you know, it was it was pretty intense. It was, it was a very uh, exciting uh, part of being in the NFL. You know, one of the memories I will always have. You know, may rest in peace. But you know, he was that big of an individual that literally, as a professional football, if he calls you by your first name, you just thought you know you, it made the world to you, it meant the world to you. So. You know, that's what Monday night was all about, being able to, you know, show your stuff in front of everybody. And not just, I'm not talking about coaches or anything, but, you know, the other players. Right. The the best thing for, you know, professional athlete or any other type of athlete is to get the respect of, a, you know, another player. John, one of your teammates, Zach Thomas, is a finalist uh, for the Hall of Fame this year. Talk about playing alongside of Zach and uh, what made him such a great linebacker. So me and Zach, we go way back. You know, we came in together. He was a fifth round pick. I was a sixth round pick. So we were back to back picks. Um, you know, we lived in the same apartment complex my rookie year, our rookie year. Um, and we stay friends to this day. Our families are, are you know, pretty close. Zach is just a, a, a amazing individual. And I'm not just talking about football. He's an amazing 
man, amazing husband, amazing father to his kids, amazing brother, you know, son, whatever. He's just an amazing individual. What made him so hit his drive? Zach was that guy. That, I mean, I thought I watched him. I thought I watched a lot of film. And, you know, I, I used to write game analysis software for some of the NFL teams. So I, I knew what it was about, you know, analyzing your opponent and knowing what they want to do or how they want to attack. Zach just took it to, he was almost like, and it, it's, it's the kind of thing that I should probably use, but like, hey, OCD, like he, he was over at the facility. I would probably say 14 hours a day, every day. You know, it, it was like that. Zach was watching film. Zach would tell you probably, he could probably tell you every player he played against, which shoe they tied first. Like he was that type of guy, that analytical. He was, he was able to process it. Not only just be able to watch film, but he was able to process it and use it to his advantage. So Zach knew plays before they were, you know, and it wasn't, he was an instinctual player, but I think the instinct came because he just analyzed people so much and so well. Like I always say, Zach, no, you need to be Secret Service on because you'll be able to walk in the room and assess who has a, you know, who has, you know, a gun or something or a weapon just because, you know, their body language. Like he was that, he had those type of things. So, and because he had those type of things, he worked so hard at it. I mean, Zach was no bigger than me. I mean, Zach was, he says he's six foot. Zach's not six foot. He's five eleven. He wished he was six foot. <laughs> he's 5'11". He, he weighed 215, 220. They lied and said 225, 230. He wasn't that big. <laughs> but he was, he just worked that hard. And that's the respect that I mean, the, the things that, and the stuff that he accomplished, the amount of tackles and the interceptions and just, you know, playing with that guy, he made people better. And if you look at, you know, the years that he was on the defense for the Dolphins or any other team, you know, the defense did extremely well. And in the games that he was hurt, we didn't do so well. So it, he not only made himself better, but he made people around him better. And that's what leaders do. And Zach wasn't a rah rah guy. It was just, well, shoot, he's doing that. I'm coming in here. He's in there. I'm leaving and Zach's still in here. And this is, I'm not talking about our first year, second year. This is his eighth year in the league and he's still doing that same thing. It's, it rubs off on people. Bob, one more for Sean before we let him go. Yeah, Sean, just a little bit more on that defense. When you came in the league, you mentioned Jack Thomas was a young guy. Get some young guys on that defense uh, to begin with. I mean, Trace Armstrong had been there a while. And one other guy that sticks out to me was Lewis Oliver, who was to me was always an underrated guy. He was picking off four or five passes every year. Talk more about your relationship with Lewis and uh, his legacy. Well, Lewis was my roommate my rookie year. Lewis yeah. is one that taught me taught me the game. No, I was a member. I came in the league as a corner and then they, you know, I was a Don Nickel Don. And then Jimmy named me a starter at safety right next to Lou, you know, for that first preseason game. So, you know, Lou was the one that Lou got me on the phone with Ronnie Lott, Steve Atwood, you know, just to give me some, some tips or, you know, some, you know, just making sure that I had the, the backing, you know, them telling me what to do and, you know, just, calming me down because I was very anxious, you know, you know, being a corner and never playing safety before that, that would have been different and then coming to the league. You know, I was undersized. Lewis was a man. Lou, Lou's still a man to this day yeah. down here in South Florida. But no, nah, he was, he was, he was that type of teammate. I think I came in and lose 10th, 11th year, maybe, um, you know, later in his career. I don't even think, no, nah, not that, because Lou's not that much older than me, but you know, later in his career, 
he didn't have to help this young, dumb rookie, you know, how to watch film, how to, you know, make sure that you're doing the right things and stuff like that. Lou was the one that taught me the game at the pro level. And uh, I'm going to tell you this, I wouldn't have lasted nine years without having Lewis Oliver in my life my first year with the Dolphins. Sean, before we let you go, let our listeners know what you're doing now. Uh, now I'm a financial advisor. You know, after I was done playing, uh, 2005, I retired um, and got into finances right away. You know, financial advisor, helping people out just because, you know, one is, you know, everybody asks why not use my major golf. I graduated college in 1995, and I started. I stopped playing football in 2005. We all know what happened from 95 to 2005. You know, computers weren't even the same. You know, we were carrying computers around in our hand that could compute more than what what uh, probably a whole whole room of computers could do back in 95. You know, not so it was it was it was very it would have been very difficult for me to go back into my major. Um, and a lot of people already was, you know, that I graduated school with already advanced in their careers and everything. So I got into finance, you know, took finance classes in college while I was there. Got into finance and finance advisor ever since. So now, you know, I'm a partner in my own firm down here in South Florida. We have clients all over. I tell, say, tell the people we have clients in all 50, uh, well, all the states except Hawaii. I'm still, you know, so if one of your listeners is a, is a person in Hawaii, don't, don't use this as a solicitation, but I would love to have a client in Hawaii just to be able to go out there for business. Round it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, for, for business purposes. That's all. <laughs> John, let our listeners know as well. How can they follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Uh, social media on Twitter. I'm, I'm real simple, real easy. At SeanWooden.com or on Instagram or Twitter. So makes it pretty simple, makes it easy. But Sean, we can't thank you. There you go. Sean, we can't thank you enough for joining us again tonight. You're always terrific, my friend. We hope you'll come back and join us again sometime soon. Oh, sure. No, thank you guys for having me, Chris and Bob. And I appreciate the, uh, the offer and the, to have me on. Anytime. Take care, Sean. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. All right. Be well, guys. Take care. See you, Sean. That's a great Sean Wooden. Boy, Bob, that was fun. He's, he's a fun guy. I love the energy and, uh, I love the humor and, uh, great stories on top of all of that. Yeah, he's got the blue collar background, Chris, and, uh, played with some greats in Miami. So he's got a lot of stories. Uh, can't wait to speak with him next time. All right. We've got our next guest, Tony Collins and our five star picks of the week hanging online. We're going to get to Tony right on the other side of this real quick station break. Folks, I want to introduce you to our new friends over at Canopy and their line of CBD products. I used to wake up several times during the night, which made it hard to get out of bed in the morning and left me really feeling less than myself all day. But I can tell you from personal experience, my sleep has dramatically improved since I started using Canopy Nighttime Blend. Now I sleep straight through the night and wake up refreshed every morning. If sleep isn't your issue, they have a variety of products that can help you out. If you struggle with muscle aches after a workout or a day out on the golf course, if you have first tee jitters or your knees lock up in your backswing, check out TryCanopy.com. That's T-R-Y-K-N-I-B-I.com. And look at their selection of tictures, creams, and gummies that can give you the edge after you exercise or while you're out on the golf course. And really, just make all of your days better. Their hemp is 100% grown in the U.S., and you know we love that. And when you choose Canopy, you are choosing prized harvest expert extractions, and precision manufacturing with zero artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So if you need help sleeping through the night like me, 
relief from muscle aches or the pressure of a busy day, give Canopy a try. Again, that's trycanopy, T-R-Y-K-N-I-B-I dot com. And if you use coupon code TNT, you're going to get 20% off your first order. Again, trycanopy.com. You're going to be glad you did. You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. He's a lot. Now back with us is former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Hey, Tony, how are you, my friend? Hi, Tony. Doing fantastic. How you doing, Chris and Bob? Uh, we're hanging in there. I'm still, I'm still a little uh, upset about the Bengals being in the Super Bowl, but outside of that, I'm doing all right. Tony, let's look oh, back man. at our picks for last week. Speaking of the Bengals being in the Super Bowl, um, you and Bob were one and one. I, I, uh, I got both of them wrong. Uh, we were all wrong. And taking the chief over, Chiefs over the Bengals, obviously. And then, uh, I, I went with the 49ers. You and Bob took the Rams. Uh, like we said at the top of the show, happy for our announcer, Joe Lodge and Nusa, plus some other friends, Bob Andrian, a great friend of mine, Tucker Booth, uh, another great friend, uh, over on the golf side. They're, they're all Rams fans. So congratulations, fellas. Your Rams are in there. Feel badly for another great friend, Keith Hirschland, that's a 49ers fan. They fell a little bit short. So, but, um, Tony. Um, since you and Bob, uh, you got no blood last week, so you still have a one game lead on the, uh, season standings, 31 and 21 to Bob's 30 and 22. I'm sitting there right at 526 to 26. So Bob, I got to tell you, my friend, you, you got to go against what, whatever Tony picks next week, you got, you, you got to be George Costanza you got to go the opposite. Whatever, even if you think whoever Tony picks is going to win. You can't pick it. You, you can't let Tony just walk in to getting another trophy and winning this championship. No, that I mean, you got to promise me you're going to go the other way. Two years in a row, man. Two years in a row. I, get I, out I of it. I gotta say, we we've been in this position before, so I guess there's no analysis uh, needed on my part <laughs> prior to coming on the show. It's just <laughs> wait till Tony picks and go to that. Well, you know, I, I, Tony, I'm going to promise you this: my pick will. I'm going to. Definitely pick who I think's gonna win the game. Um, you know, and, and it, it'll probably be who you're picking. You know, you I, I'm not just gonna do it. <laughs> no. You know, you know, Bob, you gotta swallow your integrity for a week. You're, you're, not, gonna, you're not gonna go for the trophy, Bob. You gotta uh, go for the you know, trophy, Bob. I don't know, man. Maybe it's the way I was brought up. I, I don't know, man. But I, I, we'll see. We'll see what it, what goes on, man. If, if I'm in a good mood, Tony, uh, you know, we'll see, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that, that's, that would just hurt my heart, Bob. If we, if we, if we walked in there and you, and you pick whoever Tony picks and then I just get, oh, I just gotta get, I gotta get another trophy in the mail. I gotta see the, I gotta see the picture on Facebook. You can't do that to me, Bob. You owe me better than that, Bob. Yeah, I'll have to come up with two scenarios, uh, you know, if I agree <laughs> with Tony right. and if I disagree and, uh, oh, we'll, man, that's we'll work <laughs> So, Tony, last week we talked to you about the the 85 AFC Championship game that you guys played against the Dolphins and breaking that 17-year losing streak that uh, the organization had going down to Miami. Uh, I wonder, uh, could you relate it all to the Rams since they had, you know, lost seven in a row to the 49ers? Were you happy for the Rams 
since uh, you, you you guys did essentially what they did in, in breaking a long losing streak? Well, the, as far as being happy for the Rams, I, I really want to see um, uh, the, the Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl. That's the way I, I thought would be in the Super Bowl, but uh, that, didn't, that didn't come out. And, you know, I, I think it's a great run for them. Uh, you know, losing those games like they did and, and coming back together, I, I think uh, a big key to them coming back, I don't know if anybody noticed it, but uh, their passing game got a little bit better when Odell Beckham came there. Uh, I, and I think he's a, he's been a big help uh, as far as making this thing run. And uh, it, it's, it's going to be tough to beat them. And I, I, I see the defense is, is, is very good. So, But, you know, just comparing what, what – what they did and to what we did, it, it's a it's a super run, uh, and, and and now you're you're at the game that you dream about when you're nine years old, when you're ten years old, you dream about playing in the Super Bowl. I must have played a, played in about fifty Super Bowls, maybe more, probably a lot more than fifty, a thousand Super Bowls in my backyard in my mind. And I got the opportunity to play in one, so I know that the, the guys are really excited about it. And it's a great run for the for the Rams. I, I think the Rams are a great team. Tony, you talked about how you guys had a lot of young players on that '85 team, and you didn't know or really care about the losing streak down in Miami. But I, I have to imagine the press kind of kept trying to pr- push that on you guys remind you about oh. the streak and all that sort of thing. How did Raymond Barry prevent you guys from carrying that losing baggage? You know, the, the, the thing, the thing about it was, uh, the week, the week, uh, we played, we beat the Raiders out, out in LA. And then, and, 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 you know, then we, then we, we didn't even go home. Um, so what, what, what coach Barry did, once we played the Raiders, we went from LA, Straight to Miami, uh, we didn't go. We didn't go back to uh, to, to Boston, and and, we, and you know we were thinking, man, I, I really want to go back to Boston and everything. You know, get everything. But we we knew before we went out to LA that we were going that we were going straight to um, to Miami if we won, and so we were we were prepared. And I think that was one of the keys. And so once we got to Miami. We uh we didn't stay in Miami. <laughs> we were in uh we were in uh where we were like in um God man it, it, I mean it was like near it, it was a good way put to that way. it was it was near almost near Orlando where we were staying at to put it wow. put it to you that way yeah we and so we we got we got to Orlando yeah. Uh, well, not Orlando. I can't remember the town that we we're in. Uh, but, uh, we, we got up there, uh, on, on that, uh, Monday or Tuesday, whenever it was after, after the game that we played, uh, against the Raiders. And we were, we stayed in this, this, uh, small little country town. And we were kind of pretty much away from the media. <laughs> uh, and so we, we, we got to, uh, Miami, I think on that Saturday. We got to Miami on that Saturday and, and, you know, then the media kind of, kind of, kind of swarmed on us and, you know, reminding us what, you know, how many games we've lost against them and how many years it's been since we beat Miami in Miami. But I think one of the things that Coach Barry did was kind of like keep us away, um, uh, from everybody. 
and, and I think that was a that was that was a, a, a pretty cool thing that he did. We didn't like it too much because we were like in the country, and you know there was nothing to do after practice. You just go back to your room, and I think that's one of the reasons he did that too. But um, but he 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 masterminded that thing pretty pretty well as far as just not getting that media attention. And like I say, a lot of the guys were really young, so they didn't really know too much about the the nineteen or how many sixteen games, but how many games it was. I can't remember right now. But there was a lot of games that they beat Boston down in that down down in Miami. And so when we played the game, man, it was it was like you know we not that we knew we we're gonna win, but we we just knew. That we we were going to make it to the Super Bowl. I just just how I mean, I just how simple it was. He 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 built so much confidence in us uh, throughout that 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 whole stretch. You know, beating the Jets uh, in New York, then going out to L.A. and beating them, and then coming to uh, Miami and winning that game. So I, I owe a lot of that uh, to Coach Barry. Tony, this being Pro Bowl week, you played in the the Pro Bowl in '83. And I know you wore number 33 because you were a Tony Dorsett fan, and now here you are playing against him in that Pro Bowl. Did you get to spend some time talking to Tony Dorsett that week? I, I, I actually, uh, I didn't. You know, he was playing in the, in the NFC. You know, we, we, we didn't practice together. Uh, we were at different different facilities as far as practice. But, you know, I definitely got the chance to uh Talked to him before the game and after the game, and you know we uh, we hung out a little bit after the game because you know he already knew that uh, that that he was my idol because I had told him my rookie season when when I played against him. Uh, it, it was actually a Monday night game. I, uh, my rookie season, we played on uh, the Cowboys in New England on Monday night. I think he wrestled maybe over maybe almost two hundred yards against us. And, uh, just had a great, uh, a great game. He had like a 76 yard run or a long, he had a long run. I can't remember how long it was. Uh, and, you know, I got a chance to talk to him after the game, man. And, uh, it, it, that was pretty special. And, and, you know, going to the Pro Bowl, you know, I, you know, I, I look at the Pro Bowl today and look and, and think about it back then. It's totally different, man. You know, back when we were playing in the Pro Bowl, they were really tackling people. <laughs> I mean, for real. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for real. For real. It was like a, it was like a real football game. And you know, now the, now today the guys, you know, I, I understand too. Um, you know, no, who, who wants to get hurt in the Pro Bowl? You know what I mean? You know, you, you go to the Pro Bowl, you don't want to get hurt in the Pro Bowl. And so one of the things that they're doing now is keeping the guys uh, healthy. They're wrapping up and you know doing things. But you know, it's, it's a good football game. You're, you're going to have you got the best players uh, in the world. Uh, at the site, um, I don't know why they changed it from Hawaii to wherever they're playing. And then I think what in Vegas or something. I can't remember. Yeah, it's Vegas but, this uh, year. Yeah, but uh, Hawaii was the best, man. So you know that was that was pretty cool to be able to go out there and, and have have a good time and meet the best players uh, in the league. And that 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 to me is pretty good. I got to tell you the story though. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I told you guys before. Uh, I remember uh, my my first day of practice, going into the to, and you're gonna get a kick out of this, Chris. Going into the locker room, Jack Lambert is in the locker room and he's smoking a cigarette, and I was like, 
smoking a cigarette and, and nobody says nothing, you know, you know, but you know, back then, you know, you know, that's Jack Lambert. Right. <laughs> but that that was pretty that was you pretty tell cool him. To see him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, him, see him smoking a cigarette in the locker room. <laughs> Five questions for Tony. Uh, Tony, I we've discussed this before, but I I think it bears repeating. I know you played a lot of different sports as a youth. You were a track guy. You did a lot of running and everything. Um, and we've always asked you the question, you know, do you think playing multiple sports as a young guy helped you get to the NFL? Is this something, I know you agree with that. Is this something that you've talked to kids about before and how really important is it? Oh, absolutely. You know, it, you know, you get a lot of kids these days now, they, they, they're one, they're one sport, uh, things because you know, they go on these traveling teams and, you know, different things that they do, but, you know, to be a complete athlete, I, I really believe uh, a complete athlete, um, being able to play all those sports because, you know, you know, you play basketball, you play baseball, you run track and you play football. You know, you can't play baseball and, and baseball and run track at the same time because I think they, they run together. But, you know, I, I, I when I, when I used to, when I used to talk to kids, I tell them, I tell them, I, and I tell their parents because a lot of parents, and especially now, and, and, and this time, uh, kids are just playing um, uh, lacrosse. For instance, back in my hometown, you know, football was huge back in my hometown. And, you know, everybody played football. They played – and they actually played lacrosse, played baseball. They played, they played basketball. And now the kids are all focusing in on lacrosse because lacrosse has gotten so big up in that area. And they, they, they don't play football because they don't want to get hurt for lacrosse. And so it, it's, it's a, it's a thing where I, I tell the kids, the more, the more activities that you're in, the more sports that you play, um, you, you're, you're going to get noticed because I, I truly believe when, when I played, uh, when I was in high school, the, uh, different schools were recruiting me. I had schools come up and watch me play basketball. You know, I was like, you know, why you want to come to a basketball game? Well, they want to see what you could do on the basketball court as far as your movement, uh, as far as your jumping ability and different things like that. So it's, it, it, I, I really feel that it's important that, that these kids not just stick with just one sport. I mean, I, I can understand if, you know, you're, you're, you're six, seven and, uh, you know, you, you got a hell of a jumper and, and you got, you got the tools. You know, you may not want, you may want to really kind of focus in on that. But if you're just a regular athlete, man, just play. And, and, and the, and the biggest thing is, is just have fun. You, know, you, you want to have fun when you're in high school. Uh, I look at some of these kids that go on these traveling teams. I'm pretty sure they have fun, but you know, it's, 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 it's a business now. Uh, and, and they're making, they're, they're making this thing out of a business. And I just, I, I don't think it, I don't like, I don't like it like that. And I always like to bring you down memory lane with some of your ex-teammates, Tony, and, and I just picked a couple out of the uh, the lot today. How about the Weathers brothers? You know, back back in 83, I think <laughs> a lot of people forget about that. Clarence Weathers and Robert Weathers, they were on that same team. They were brothers. The, the chances of that happening are incredible. But I remember Robert being a big running back and Clarence being a small wide receiver. Talk about the relationship, uh, what you remember about the uh, interaction between those guys, and they were pretty good in their own right, too, Tony. Absolutely. Well, actually, Robert was my roommate on the road. 
I mean, oh, we were, we were, we, we were tight, man. I mean, we were real tight. And Robert came, Robert came in the year after me, uh, from Arizona State, big back and can absolutely move. I mean, he could, he could get it. And, uh, and so, uh, Clarence was, was at, uh, he went to, I can't remember what, what school. He went to a small school. I can't remember what school he went to. And so. Delaware State, huh? Delaware State, that's exactly right. Yeah. So during the off season, Clarence comes in and you know he's just fooling around with us because he's with, he's with Robert. He's fooling around with us and and he because we had a little basketball team uh, during the off season, right? So Clarence, you know, gets on our basketball team. He's playing basketball, and you know, Clarence was like five nine, maybe if he's five nine, <laughs> and could dunk a ball any kind of way he wanted to. I was like, this wow. kid is incredible. I was like, I was like, I was like, man, you, why, why you ain't playing nowhere? What you doing? And, 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 uh, you know, uh, everybody else noticed him and I don't know what happened, but he got a tryout. Got a tryout with us, made the team. And, uh, uh, man, it, it was pretty cool to have both of them on the team at the same time. And they're, they're both great people, uh, come from a, a great background. Um, I think, uh, Clarence stayed there for maybe, three or four years, and then he, I think he went on to Cleveland, played for Cleveland for a couple of years. But uh, just two good two good people, man. Uh, and you, you, it's hard to – I don't know how many times this has happened for two brothers to be on the same team in the NFL. That doesn't happen too often. I want to take you back again to the, to the Pro Bowl because I, I read that the payout the year that you were in the Pro Bowl, the, the winning team – Got ten thousand dollars a piece. Losing team got five thousand dollars a piece. And back in those days, the average player in the league was making about one hundred and thirty thousand. The extra five or ten thousand—that was a big deal to be able to get yeah, uh, yeah. get that extra paycheck, wasn't it? Yeah, man, five thousand dollars <laughs> to play to, to play the game. <laughs> if, and if you want, you got ten. I don't know what they're making now. I'm pretty sure it's a lot more. 120,000 120, wow. to the winner. <laughs> that, that's incredible, man. <laughs> well, you see how it is, but yeah, man, it, 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 it was, it was special to me, you know, it, but I, it wasn't so much the money for me. Um, uh, it was the, the, you know, the, the atmosphere of being around, um, these the best players, you know, Jack Lamb. Just, uh, uh, um, uh, God, I can't think of my man's name. Um, who was in the back? Who was the big running back from, uh, Houston, Houston Oilers? Earl Campbell. Earl Campbell. Earl Campbell. I can't, couldn't think of his name. You know, I'm in the backfield with Earl Campbell. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it was pretty cool, man. You know, you know, I was just my third year in the league and, 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 you know, you know, being in the backfield with Earl Campbell, I think Joe Kills made the Pro Bowl that year. Yep. Uh, uh, man, it, it was some special guys. So I, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I'll never forget it and I'll cherish those moments forever. Tony, before we let you go, remind our listeners how you're trying to help kids in school. Right now we're, we're, we're doing our best to get, get the books in school because I can't get into the school systems right now because of the pandemic. And, and, and the crazy thing about it is this is the time, really the time we, I need to get in there to help these kids out. So, well, our, our goal now is to get as many books as we can, 
uh, into the uh, the school system through starting uh, right down here in North Carolina, and then we're gonna head 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 north. But uh, you know, look look me up on Tony Collins uh, on Facebook or on Instagram, Tony Collins BWY. Tony, you're the best, my friend. We'll catch up next week. We'll see who ends up winning this trophy, and I <laughs> and I hope Bob swallows his integrity and picks hey, hey, <laughs> every house to hey, do it a win. Chris, you need my address, man. I'm gonna say it. I got your address, Tony. Don't you worry. I got you your address. <laughs> Take care, Tony. All the best to you and your family. Yeah, we'll Tony. catch you up next week. Uh, God bless, guys. Have a good one. You too, Tony. That's a great Tony Collins, and uh, we've got our next guest, Ed Marinaro, hanging on the line. We're gonna get the Ed right on the other side of this real quick station break. Folks, I want to remind you again about our friends over at Canopy and their line of CBD products. I used to wake up several times during the night, which made it hard to get out of bed in the morning and left me really feeling less than myself all day. But I can tell you from personal experience, my sleep has dramatically improved since I started using Canopy Nighttime Blend. Now I sleep straight through the night and wake up refreshed every morning. If sleep isn't your issue, they have a variety of products that can help you out. If you struggle with muscle aches after a workout or a day out on the golf course, if you have first tee jitters or your knees lock up in your backswing, Check out TryCanopy.com, that's T-R-Y-K-N-I-B-I.com, and look at their selection of tictures, creams, and gummies that can give you the edge after you exercise or while you're out on the golf course. And really, just make all of your days better. Their hemp is 100% grown in the U.S., and you know we love that. And when you choose Canopy, you are choosing prized harvest, expert extractions, and precision manufacturing with zero artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So if you need help sleeping through the night like me, relief from muscle aches or the pressure of a busy day, give Canopy a try. Again, that's trycanopy, T-R-Y-K-N-I-B-I dot com. And if you use coupon code TNT, you're going to get 20% off your first order. Again, trycanopy.com. You're going to be glad you did. Thursday Night Tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. Okay, now joining us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is former Vikings fullback turned great actor, Ed Marinero. Let me give you some background on Ed. He's from New York City played his college ball at Cornell, where he set over 16 NCAA records and finished second in the Heisman Trophy balloting in 1971. He was named first-team All-Ivy League each year from 1969 to 1971, and he was the first running back in college football history to rush for over 4,000 yards in his college career. He actually finished with 4,715 over his three college seasons. In 1971, he won the Triple Crown by leading the nation in rushing yards with 1,881. He also led the nation in scoring with 24 touchdowns and 184 points, and in all-purpose yards as well. He rushed for 200 yards in a game five times in 71, and he did it 10 times over the course of his college career. All three seasons, he averaged better than five yards per carry and 175 rushing yards per game. Of the top 10 single-game highs for rushing yards in a game in Cornell history, Ed has six of them. The bottom line is he was so good that 50 years later, he still holds just about every rushing and scoring record in Cornell history, and he remains the Ivy League's all-time leading rusher. He was inducted into Cornell's Athletics Hall of Fame in 1978 and the College Football Hall of Fame in 1991. 
He was a second-round draft pick by the Minnesota Vikings in 1972, and he played in the league from 72 to 1977 for the Vikings, Jets, and Seahawks. Following his NFL days, he became a fantastic actor. We all remember the great job he did as Officer Joe Coffey on Hill Street Blues. Last fall, you probably saw him in A Unicorn for Christmas and The Many Saints of Newark. And we're excited he is with us tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Ed, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, good to be here. Thank you. Sorry I'm a little late uh, making dinner here. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Ed, I want to start by going back uh, just to the early days for when you fell in love with the game of football and who were some of your idols growing up? Well, you know, I grew up just, I was born in New York City and I moved to uh, right across the George Washington Bridge to New Jersey, which is where I went to all my uh, my schooling, all my high school, grammar school, high school, and um, grew up being a fan of the New York Giants and uh, First pro football game I ever went to was 1960 uh, with the New York Titans in the Polo Grounds. They played the Houston Oilers, and Billy Cannon was a rookie for the Houston Oilers. I don't know if you guys remember him, but he was a Heisman Trophy winner out of LSU, great player, had a really uh, great career with the uh, Oakland Raiders as a tight end. Anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, I was a Giant fan, and I grew up uh, rooting for Y.A. Tittle and uh, Del Schaffner and Roosevelt Brown and those great Giant teams, Frank Gifford, uh, Andy Robustelli. Uh, and I guess that's uh, kind of where I, you know, like most kids that era, like I, uh, you know, I just uh, always dreamt about being a, a football player. So that was my... Uh, my introduction. So, Ed, what or who enticed you to go play your college football up in Ithaca for uh, for Cornell? Well, um, you know, I don't know. I I I I, I still can't explain. I, I probably had thirty or forty scholarships to play football, and I had basketball scholarships. But there was some sort of an allure. For me to play in the Ivy League, I, uh, you know, I guy was, uh, I just thought that that uh, I knew at that point that you know that kind of meant something. You know, I, I don't know if I had uh, that much confidence as a as an athlete to think that, you know, uh, you know, I wasn't gonna. Never thought about playing in the NFL at that point. I just thought about playing college football, and you know, I knew. I knew what I knew about the prestige of being, uh, you know, being an Ivy Leaguer, and I was lucky enough to get into Cornell, and it was probably one of the the defining moments in my life. It was a, you know, a, a great experience. Got to play on a really good team, and have close relationships with all my teammates. A lot, most of my teammates from time I was there so uh you know and then my son who's a freshman now at Cornell he's sort of hopefully he'll follow in my footsteps but you know he's a legacy and I'm very proud of that and it's uh Cornell was part of the uh Marinero uh lore if you will and Ed you you played in 27 college football games and in game number 24 
You rush for 272 yards against Columbia. You break the NCAA all-time career rushing record. Tell us what you remember about that day and uh, when you broke the record. Well, uh, it was funny. I uh, The week before, I believe, we played Yale. Um, and I I had a pretty good game. I don't know how many yards. I think I went over 200, but I I kind of got a little banged up toward the end of the game. And uh, I was seven yards short of the the record, the NCAA record. So it, it you would think it was by design that you could, you know, be that short and have a whole week to kind of have people, you know, coming up to Ithaca and, you know, wanting to talk to me and, you know, knowing I was just seven yards shy. Uh, so the, the week before it was kind of a, a lot of go, lots, a lot of stuff going on um, as far as the uh, the anticipation of my breaking the record. So it's probably the week before I remember most. I think I broke the record on my second or third carry, and uh, it was it was pretty exciting. You know, the Ivy League. You know, it, it's it's the Ivy League, and but we we kind of had a packed stadium at Showcall Field that day, which was really exciting. I mean. People were uh, very enthusiastic about the, the whole university was excited about, you know, the attention, the national attention that they were getting. And I was uh, really proud to be, uh, you know, the person that was uh, creating that kind of. Five questions for Ed. That's great to speak with you, Ed. Uh, you know, I have some great memories, you know, growing up right near Yale and, uh, you know, watching you as a kid in grammar school, you know, it was big. When Ed Marinero came to town, that was like, you know, like a pro coming. And, um, you know, I still go to Yale Bowl. I mean, the last 25 years as a media member, Ed, but been going there since a kid. Uh, do you have any special memories of coming up to New Haven? Well, I'm going to give you a little trivia question uh, uh, that you can, I don't know, use one day. There were only four people who played Pro ball and college ball at the Yale Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I was one of them when, when the, uh, the Giants couldn't play at Yankee Stadium and they used the Yale Bowl. I played right. the Giants when I was with the Vikings. We played at the Yale Bowl. So there weren't many guys who played college ball and pro ball in the Yale Bowl. Um, that's probably what I remember most. That is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, we had mentioned, Ed, your, uh, your 71 season, which was an amazing and, you know, your, your Heisman chase. And I read that you almost, almost averaged 40 yards, 40 carries per yard, per game. That, which, to, when you look back, you know, I'm sure back then, you know, you want to get fed the ball, you want the rock and everything. But years later, do you look back and say, whoa. You know what? You know, it's, it's, the game is so, uh, obviously it's changed so much, um, since then. And, 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 you know, you look at college now, you look at the pros, you know, the running backs, you know, they, they don't play the whole game. You know, they, they, guys go in, they play three plays and then they send somebody else. Very situational. Uh, very few players, running backs, play 
every play, um, which is, uh, you know, kind of interesting. And, and they, you know, even the, the, the guy from, uh, the 49ers, Samuels, uh, what is it? Dabo? Samuels? Debo Samuel? Yep. Yeah, Debo. He, I was just reading about him and they, they were talking about, they, they, he's a non-position guy, which I've never heard that expression before, but you know, I think this guy is going to sort of revolutionize the, that, uh, you know, maybe the game. There, you know, if, if you have a guy like him who can run, catch, you know, you got to get him the ball as much as you can. And, it, you know, sometimes it's easier to hand it off to him, put him in the backfield. And there are plenty of guys in the league who, you know, could move around like that. Um, so it, it'll be interesting moving forward if, if, if he's sort of redefined, you know, that, that whole kind of position or, if you will, or offensive threat. We could play anywhere. I mean, as a running back, the guy's a big guy. He's as big as a running back. Why not put him in the backfield and just pitch him the ball? Um, and there's a lot of players. I, I, the guy I could think of is uh, the, the Seattle Seahawks guy, uh, C.K. Metcalf. I mean, this guy could play any position. And uh, you know, putting him out on uh, out, out wide and just the only time he touches the ball, if he could throw it to him, it's kind of a waste when you have a talent like that. My my point is I I don't think today anybody plays the whole game, uh, you know they they they, they rotate running backs you know they like I said they'll play two or three plays they bring somebody else in, and um, you know I, I I don't know why but maybe just to keep them fresh. And um, want to talk about when you get drafted by the Vikings in '72. You're coming in as a rookie and, and on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage of practice as a, as a young purple people leader's defense. What was it like for you trying to make a name for yourself as a running back going to practice trying to, trying to play well against those guys? Well, um, the purple people leaders, we had a pretty formidable uh, defense. Uh, fortunately, you know, they, we didn't do a lot of, lot of live tackling whatever it wasn't like we we had a couple of scrimmages and they they were daunting as a, as a rookie you know when you first time i walked into the locker room and these are guys that i had looked up to and admired you know as a college player and all of a sudden you're you know you're in the locker room dressing next to them it's, it's uh pretty awe-inspiring i'm sure it's you know, n- not a whole lot different today for rookies when they go to their first training camp and they're they're dressing alongside of guys they looked up to and admired and like six months earlier watching them play on television and all of a sudden you're uh, you know you're dressing next to them it's uh it's a it's mind blowing um you know I uh you know I I played with uh you know the Carl Fuller and Jim Marshall and Alan Page Fran Parkinson and you know those guys are legends and you know here's a kid coming out of Cornell University well and no matter all rookies are just you know it's very awe it's awe inspiring to be in in the locker room with guys like that and they were all great and you know I, it was a it was a thrill you know getting to play with them and you know at the time it's, it's just a you know it's a very different mindset you know when you're 
22 years old, but, you know, at this point in my life, I look back and see how, uh, you know, lucky I was just to, you know, get to have played with those guys. And the next season, you guys go all the way to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl eight against the Dolphins, who were the defending Super Bowl champions. And I'm curious to get your perspective of what the Super Bowl was like back in Super Bowl eight versus the spectacle that we have for the Super Bowl now. Well, uh, you know, I played in back to back Super Bowl, played in Super Bowl eight. That was against the Dolphins and played in Super Bowl nine. Uh, against the Steelers, we played at uh, Tulane Stadium, and um, I guess the best way best way to describe you know the difference was that the halftime show was the uh, Tulane marching band. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's quite a bit you know uh, different than Snoop Dogg and Janet Jackson uh, <laughs> that they have today. So. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, it was, it was still. It obviously wasn't the game it is today. You know, the the all the pregame hype was, you know, what it is today. Um, certainly, the money <laughs> was it what it is today. <laughs> but um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it was, a, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was kind of, you know, it was, it was. Some extra dough in our pockets, just getting to play there. And most of us weren't making that much money, so even though we didn't make a ton of money, it was it was significant to get to the Super Bowl. Um, so um, yeah, it was uh, it was great. I think you know the the best you know the the, the game the, the the conference championship game is you know losing that game is worse than losing the Super Bowl. Um, because you just get that close and you, you, you don't, you know, you, at least I can spend the rest of my life saying I played in two Super Bowls instead of when you lose that conference game, you know, you, you have to spend the rest of your life telling people you almost played in the Super Bowl. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was a thrill, you know, but it was a long time ago. So, you know, my memory is, is, uh, you know, I don't, when, it was just, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was cool, I'm sure, but it wasn't, you know, again, it wasn't like the, uh, the, the hoopla surrounding the game today. You know, it was, uh, we, we came in and we stayed in a hotel, you know, far away from Miami and New Orleans because Bud Grant didn't want us being distracted. It was, it was almost like a, just another game for us. But, uh, I got a, I got two rings, which is, is nice. You know, one day when I'm down and out, I can sell one of them. So. <laughs> and you got the opportunity to go back to New York to play for the Jets in 1976. And you had two of the best games of your career that year against the 49ers and, and at home against the Bills. To come home and, and get the ball 31 times, rush for 119 yards and a touchdown and be in the same backfield with Joe Namath and, and Richard Todd. What was that like for you? Uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, I, 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 playing for the Vikings was a great experience. I mean, I played for a great coach, Bud Grant, Hall of Fame coach. We were a great team. Um, 
And, you know, I just, uh, being a, like a New York guy, it was sort of a dream come true to get to play in New York City. And, you know, I became, a, I was a free agent and it was an interesting time in the NFL. I was part of a group of free agents. The, the, the Roselle rule, which, uh, made it uh, almost impossible for pe- people to, to go from one team to another was declared unconstitutional in 1975. So I was one of about five or six players who really were the first true free agents in the NFL history. John Riggins was one of them. He left the uh, Jets and went to the Redskins. I think Calvin Hill left the Cowboys, went to the Cleveland Browns, and I was able to leave the Vikings and sign with the Jets. And there was no compensation that the the Jets had to give up. I was true free agent. So that allowed that to happen for me. And, you know, going to the Jets was, uh, you know, just, uh, at that point in my career, it was, uh, it was just exciting. It was exciting to be back and, you know, being able to play in front of my, my family and my friends and certainly playing with Joe Willie Namath was, uh, a thrill. I got to play with, uh, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks in my career and I caught passes from them and took handoffs from them. And, you know, that's something that I'll, always remember but you know being being in living in new york city was a whole different experience you know living in you know minneapolis was a great town but you know I, I was a new yorker so i was i was pretty much at home moving back there and uh i my guy unfortunately i got hurt uh, that year after i had those two good games i i I had a foot injury on Monday Night Football against the Patriots the following week. So, Mike, that was pretty much the end of my career. I, I hung on a little bit longer, got one more year in, but I was never the same. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I kind of have no, no real regrets about that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad, it, you know, that my career went the way it did. It sort of, if I hadn't gotten hurt, I don't know how long I would have played. I, I, you know, I'd never been hurt before, either in college or, or the pros. So it was sort of a, you know, an aberration to be, you know, for me to be injured and pretty much have it end my career, which it did. But it sort of got me into another area of my life earlier than uh, I might have had I not got hurt. I, I was probably the kind of player I probably could have played ten years easily. And, um, you know, had I played that long, I'm not sure I would have, uh, gone to Hollywood. You know, I would have probably gotten a real job. So, uh, you know, everything worked out well for me. Bob, one more for Ed before we let him go. Yeah, sure. Ed, uh, Chris had mentioned your accomplished acting career and all of us enjoyed it back in the day also. But, uh, tell us, tell our viewers and listeners that how, um, when did you first get the acting bug and, uh, how did you first get your foot in the door? Uh, well, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, 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 I was, um, I became friends with Joe Namath back. Actually, I met Joe the first time I met Joe, I was a senior in college and, you know, he's just a, a terrific guy, still a good friend. You know, I 
still talk to him. I'm going to going down to Florida in March to play a little golf, and I'm going to have dinner with him. Um, you know, we're just hanging around with him. I saw, you know, I met people out in Hollywood, and uh, they encouraged me to kind of give a take take a shot at this whole Hollywood stuff. You know, um, I was a good looking stud back then, and um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, I had some opportunities, and when my career was over, you know, I really I was 28 years old when my you know the, the last team I played for and. I just said, let's uh, give it a shot. I moved to Hollywood and I just became a full-time actor. I did what, you know, what most actors do. I got into acting class. I studied. I, you know, when I auditioned for roles and, you know, it took, um, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but, you know, I got some pretty good breaks relatively early in my career. The biggest one was Hill Street Blues. Um, back, uh, I'd been out there for two years and I, you know, I got a shot at Hill Street and you know, I ended up doing six years on the show, which was great and sort of jump started my career being, um, relatively new in Hollywood by getting to work on a show that was so critically acclaimed and, you know, great actors and great writing and great directors. It, it, uh, you know, it was a great, place to to kind of learn and learn quickly and learn from really really good people just being around them and it probably kind of elevated my uh stature in hollywood um quicker than could have ever hoped for just being associated with such a quality show um and being so new in the business you know i i probably people thought i was better than i really was but um yeah, it was, it was, it was great. And, you know, I'm fortunate. I've been doing it for 45 years. I'm still doing it, you know, still work now and again. As long as it doesn't interfere with my, my golf schedule. I, I <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, you know, the, 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 it's still, it's still fun. You know, I still, you know, I, I've done a couple of movies in the last year or so and, um, Fortunately, I can, I don't have to, I don't have to work. I, it's something that, uh, you know, that can excite me a little bit. I'll, I'll do it. But it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's been, it's been a great ride. You know, and the, the good thing about acting is that you don't, you know, people ask me if I've retired from acting and, you know, actors, they don't retire. They either can't remember their lines anymore or they die. So as long as I'm, uh, you know, I can still remember my lines and I'm breathing, you know, I can still act. So that's, that's kind of a reassuring, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to really retire. Ed, before we let you go, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media? Uh, you know what? I'm not a real, uh, I, I don't really do a lot of social media. You know, I, I'm like a, you know, I'm an organic type of guy. <laughs> you'll, uh, you'll, 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 uh, if it's worth knowing, you'll find out. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, uh, you know, if I'm going to be in a movie, I probably, I'll post it on Instagram or, or whatever. If I'm doing something that, 
is of mild interest to anybody, I'll uh, I'll I'll post it. But um, you know, I'm kind of a low keyed person. You know, I don't uh, <laughs> I mind my own business. <laughs> Well, Ed, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. We hope you'll come back and do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, inviting me, and uh, be safe, and uh, go Big Red. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Ed. Take care, Ed. Uh, All okay, the best to you care. and your family. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is the great Ed Marinero. We've got our next guest, Blaine Bishop, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Blaine right on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear your favorite NFL legends sharing their stories and insights every week right here on Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Take it away, guys. There's no way out. All right, now back with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is former Titans defensive back Blaine Bishop. Let me remind you about Blaine's background. He's from Indianapolis, Indiana, played his college ball at Ball State where he was a walk-on. He was named second team All-MAC Conference in 1990 and 92, and he was the MAC Conference Defensive Player of the Week, November 9th, 1991, for his performance against Toledo. He was a team captain in 92, and he played in the Senior Bowl and the Blue-Gray game that year. He was inducted into the Ball State Athletics Hall of Fame in 2003. Blaine was an eighth-round draft pick in 1993 by the then Houston Oilers, now the Tennessee Titans. Played in the league from 93 to 2002. All but one year was with the Oilers slash Titans. He played his final season in Philadelphia with the Eagles. He was named to the Pro Bowl four times. Over the course of his NFL career, he had 738 tackles, 15 and a half sacks, five interceptions, one of which he returned for a touchdown. And folks, Blaine first joined us here on the show on episode number three, way back on October 6th of 2011. We are very excited. He is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Blaine, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming hey, back Blaine. on the show. Hey, man, how you guys doing, man? I appreciate uh, the great introduction there. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Blaine, I want to start by going back to your college days at Ball State. What or who got you to walk on to play football there? <laughs> that is it's, that's pretty remarkable. I would say you're talking to him. <laughs> I, I, I have to give you the backdrop story of that. And that is, uh, you know, I went to a Division two school my freshman year. I went to a private uh, Catholic high school in Indianapolis called Cathedral High School. A lot of players uh, played in the National Football League, uh, actually still currently today. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was a running back slash uh cornerback and everybody kept telling me I was really small after I made, you know, all the honors in high school. And so uh went with a couple other guys uh that I went to high school with. We went to Saint Joseph's College in Rensselaer, Indiana. And wow. I wouldn't have been able to tell you where Rensselaer, Indiana was, but it was a private Catholic uh, university and it is no it is closed now for I think uh four years. Uh, it didn't exist. So I went there and, uh, did, did fairly well, made Division II All-American, make the story short. And then I went back to my high school coach, who's the president of the school, asking me was I was a Division One prospect now. And he said, absolutely. I, I wanted to really ask him what, what changed in six months, but uh, I didn't. <laughs> so, uh, he said, you go to Indiana State, 
Doesn't have a really good program at the time. Uh, naturally, you need to go to Ball State. You can start right away. You can go to uh, IU, and you probably have to wait your turn. So I said, call Ball State right now. He picked up the phone, looked up uh, the number on one of his uh, cards, business cards there that he had in the uh, portfolio, and boom, there you have it. That's how I walked on. And then, uh, then I started from the time I got there after the rules were different there, so I had to sit out of here, but I got to practice. So I, I knew I was going to be starting because coach told me, and I said, well, who's getting bent? And they was like, you don't worry about that. We'll take care of that. <laughs> I, I was, I, I was, and I, and I know that kind of sounds like, uh, I don't know, maybe a little arrogant, but at the time I was so driven and so determined to prove only that I could play division one football. That was it. That was the dream. My dream was I wanted to go to Notre Dame. That's that I was too small growing up in Indiana, Indianapolis, and then uh, going to a private cathedral fighting Irish. Uh, I think that's where I wanted to go, and I probably would have never touched the field. Well, then you get drafted by the Oilers, and when you get there, you have sort of a who's who on that coaching staff. I mean, the head coach was Jack Pardee. Kevin Gilbride's there as the offensive coordinator. Buddy Ryan was the defensive coordinator. Greg Williams is there as a special teams coach. What was it like for you going from Ball State to suddenly being coached by Buddy Ryan. Oh, boy. But an eye-opener, that is for sure. Uh, I went in there, as naturally, I played cornerback. I don't know if you guys knew that in high, uh, college and uh, at Ball State. And I, that's what I was playing there at, uh, with the Oilers initially. And uh, a couple of guys got injured. And uh, next thing you know, I'm at safety. And then, and then I'm... Man, oh, I'm playing in the 46 defense. So I go from playing corner to, you know, half the time I'm a linebacker, half the time I'm a nickel back, and the other time I'm a third of the time I'm a safety. So it was uh, really interesting and was kind of intriguing that my skill sets actually fit all of those things. I just had to learn how to play the kind of the linebacker 46 position in that scheme and how to read blocks and everything else. So that was a tough task for me being that you were a skilled guy on the perimeter and then doing that but everything else fit really easy and it's, it's, his defense was really complex so I was a really quick thinker process information pretty fast and uh, even as a young player at the time so uh, those all those things benefited me and then uh, next you know the starter got injured uh, Bubba McDowell uh, just now is the name the head coach at Prairie View uh, and uh and then after that, it kind of got my first start uh, Christmas Day as a starter. I played special teams to that point in time. I was kind of a, uh, what's it called, nickel dime guy. You come in, you know, be the fourth, fifth guy, and take their, you know, fifth, sixth guy. And then uh, got my shot in my first career start versus the 49ers uh, on Christmas Day. I uh, got a sack called fumble on Steve Young. So that was kind of the the beginning of, of my ride there uh, with the organization. And Blaine, coming in as a rookie, I mean, the Oilers offense, I mean, Warren Moon's the quarterback, Ernest Givens, Webster Slaughter, Haywood Jeffries, a, a wide receiver. What was it like for you as a rookie trying to make a name for yourself, trying to cover those guys? Yeah, that that was tough there, especially Warren Moon uh, still today through the, you know, best ball I've ever seen in my life. I think would whistle uh, by my ear all the time. Uh, but it gave me gave great practice. Uh, that's kind of how I looked at it. Uh, from the time I, we started mini camps, as they called it then, not OTAs, uh, 
I learned that, uh, you know, I didn't need to be as much in the weight room. I need to be more, you know, limber and get into some, you know, deep yoga, stretching and all that. So after uh, my first uh, mini camp and then coming back for training camp, my actual goal was uh, at that time was just to uh, make the practice squad. Uh, I thought I was doing fairly well, but I need to get better at uh, just, you know, moving with receivers laterally. Not vertically, but laterally. Uh, so in that run and shoot, I was always in the slot going against Givens. Uh, and that year was the year uh, we had Webster Slaughter in the slot as well, who both of those guys ran exceptional routes. Uh, and that really helped me out. And I got better each and every day. Every day I got better. And it just, my confidence grew at the time. And then, uh, uh, and, you know, eventually I was an aggressive natured, uh, you know, instinctive player. Uh, I think I was out to prove something. And at every level, that's kind of what I've done. And I've excelled at it. And uh, eventually I adapted to the game, and then the game started slowing down for me. So it was really unique. Uh, a lot of great players around me helped me out. But it was definitely uh, an eye-opener. You know, you, you have to get over the aha moment after the first practice, and then it's, it's time to move on, and now you have arrived. If you don't accept that part of it and, and move on, you, you'll be stuck there for a while, a lot longer than you think. Bob, questions for Blaine? Yeah, Blaine, it's great to have you on the show. And more more about that defense. When you came in the league, you know, they, they had guys like McDowell. We've talked to Dishman many times, Marcus Robertson. You walked in on those guys. Robertson was kind of a younger yeah. guy, but uh, those guys mm-hmm. had 16 picks. Out of the 26 on that defense, uh, these were studs you were playing with. Did any of those guys have a huge impact on you as far as your entrance to the NFL, or was it somebody else on that defense? <laughs> Actually, uh, I would say all those guys kind of contributed a, a little bit. Uh, you know, I could name one other guy, uh, Steve Jackson. Uh, he was from uh, Houston, uh, but he went to Purdue. Uh, he definitely helped me out along the way in it. And some of the things they taught me just on uh, really live action. I mean, even if as a special teamer, they would be the double gunner and, you know, they would just bury me. And I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I beat two people? And so Dishman would be like, or Steve Jackson would be like, hey, just attack one guy. Attack one guy. Just think you're going against one guy, and then that will help you. And then and then it's a foot race with the next guy. You know, so it was little bitty things like that. Uh, I would have them critique me when we were watching film. Uh, I remember Dish, my, uh, in the preseason, he was telling me, you know, to use my feet and not necessarily my physicality when I was covering, uh, cause I was getting a little too aggressive. So had all the, you know, aggressive things going on. And then I had, uh, you know, Buddy Ryan on my, my behind every day. Uh, he was relentless. I wasn't the only guy, but. Uh, initially, and then uh, I came in uh, two other and another defensive guy, Michael Barrow from the U. So we were the two defensive guys that were drafted, and he said he not only drafted for our talent and our toughness, but also for uh, what set on top of our necks, and that was our head as football players. So all those things kind of played a part in, in that success and, and with their help. And Blaine, every guy we talked to that played. Uh you know, in the 90s or whatever, <clears throat> it's totally different. Now, you guys actually had some very, very physical practices back then. Uh, there was more of a 
uh, an emphasis on fundamentals, tackling, wrapping up. We don't see much of it anymore. I'm sure with Buddy Ryan, you, you know, these guys were sticklers on a lot of that stuff. But it's such a physical game now, Blaine. They don't wrap. It's kind of like they contact is the way they tackle. Uh, when you're watching the game these days, does it drive you a little crazy? <laughs> well, that's an understatement. I, I laugh all the time because I'm, I'm jumping up and down like, what are you? You can give him a great body blow. But Same he can spin around and not know where he's at. He's not going to go down. These guys are too big, too strong, too athletic. So that right. that's, uh, you know, I was really big on just tackling guys. Uh, you know, you're not going to get a big hit on everybody, especially in this day and age. But I was always big on tackling and, and wrapping up. So I, I just, it's just, uh, yeah, you're not going to get these guys down. I don't, I don't know why guys keep doing that. I, even, I mean, even you're not going to get fined for that. So, you know, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's uh, totally different. And a lot of it has to do with what you're kind of mentioning is the, the practices are a little different, you know, which they can maintain their bodies a lot longer. But, you know, you have to have coaching that is teaching fundamentals daily, even once you're in the National Football League. And I, I think really, for me, I had some great fundamental coaches uh, along the way from had Rod Perry. I, I, I love that. I caught the tail end of some really elite, you know, guys. And then I caught, you know, in the, third, fourth year, Jerry Gray, who was an elite player, field coaching today in secondary with the Packers. Uh, and the list kind of goes on, but they all helped bring different things to, to my game, Gary Brown. Uh, so, yeah, so it was uh, it was an interesting time, but for me, it was perfect for what I needed in my development as a player. Uh, and no one was going to outwork me, and no one was going to be more physical and, and no one's going to be more prepared than I was going to be. And uh, even as I became a second, third-year guy, I was, I was putting in work and learning how to study opponents, study your matchup, make sure you understand your matchup, and then how to defeat and have a counter move to your matchup. So all those veteran guys taught me that as a young player. I don't. I don't think that happens today. At least I don't think it does. Anyway, I don't know that for sure. But yeah. So in talking about all the the film watching and the studying, you look back at your your game log, your your rookie season. You get your first pick in Week 14 at home against the Falcons. Bobby Abair actually threw six interceptions in that game. Did you guys pick up on something that he was doing that allowed you guys <laughs> for you to get your first pick, but five other guys to get one too? Yeah, you know, it was kind of, you know, you know, there's a big adage, you know, saying that, uh, you know, the picks come in bunches. And I think that was it. I mean, they, they ran somewhat of a, uh, the running shoot. So I think, uh, I don't know who their office coordinator was at the time, but I think we understood what we had to do going into that game and to force them to run certain routes, uh, based off our coverages that we're putting in, if I can recall correctly. But, uh, yeah, and that, you know, it kind of snowballed, but they, they had some, yeah, I forgot all about that. That was, they had some elite talent. Yeah, they, yeah, Bobby threw around. I didn't know he threw six picks in that game. Sir, six wow. interceptions. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, he, he does radio like I do, so I'm going to have to remind him of that. <laughs> 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 we have him when I have him when we play the Falcons or New Orleans or one of the teams we play for. Wayne, that first year, you guys got off to kind of a rough start. You start out the season one and four, but then you guys run off 11 straight wins to finish 12 and four and win the AFC Central. As a rookie, you concerned about the, the rough start being one and four? And then what was it like riding the wave of 11 straight wins? 
<laughs> well, as a rookie, my head was spinning, so I, I was more concerned with, dang, man, how am I going to make it through this game and run down on special teams and uh, contribute as best I could. So at that time, if Greg Williams was a special team coach, uh, he developed a lot of trust in me that I was going to get it done, so I was always going against the best special teamer. Uh, you know, start off a one-and-four start. Got to remember going into that season, which was my first, uh, that the Oilers at the time lost to Buffalo Bills after they gave up, I don't know, 28 or 35 point lead in the playoffs. Uh, so right. they just came in and kept everything the same on offense and they just changed the defense with, you know, Buddy Ryan. So as I said earlier a little bit and hinted around that it was a very complex defense. They were used to playing like just a staple four, three, you know, uh, cover three type scheme. And this was complex. Every time somebody moved, there was an adjustment. And I'm talking about more than just one or two players. The whole scheme would change. Uh, so, and at that time, which is crazy, I got to play with Wilbur Marshall. He was on our team at that time. And so he was helping all the guys figure out what all the adjustments were at time. And until you get in games, do you really know all the adjustments? You can go over at practice, even in preseason at that time. And uh, it just wasn't happening. Me being a backup at that time, not being in game, uh, was a little bit different. But that time I was <laughs> really more worried about uh, if I get my opportunity to make sure I understand what I need to do uh, early in the season. And I did a fairly good job of that in the preseason. But, you know, everything changes once it becomes regular season, kind of goes to a whole nother level. And he had what they call AFC sheet. You had to memorize them every week. So every time he, he would just, he had four fingers that he would point, one, two, three, or four. And then with that, you had to know all the formations and adjustments to that call. And it was called AFC sheet, but it was, and it was, but it had AFC, BTF, 46, 46 BTF. BTF was blitz the formation. So when he put the BTF behind it, you knew we were going to be blitzing in some form or fashion. Uh, AFC was just kind of a basic formation. Uh, whenever they line up one of their pro sets that we would run up, you know, nothing blitzing. It was just everybody had gap control. So that's what was confusing for a lot of guys and what their responsibilities were. And slowly but surely guys start getting it in the regular season. And once we got it, because they had the talent. I mean, we, I mean, we had William Fuller, Sean Jones, Ray Childress, uh, Glenn Montgomery. D line. We had Wilbur Marshall, Lamar Latham, uh, Al Smith, Michael Barrow, Eddie Robinson, Chris Dishman, Daryl Lewis, Bubba McDowell, Marcus Robinson. Uh, even after uh, Marcus Torres ACL, we brought in Chuck Cecil. Uh, he got half of a season in. I mean, I, I played with some legendary guys uh, that are really underrated, but really something that we had a solid group of players that time I think we were deep everywhere Blaine winning that division earned you guys an opportunity to go play Joe Montana and the Chiefs in the playoffs what was it like as a rookie facing Montana in the postseason yeah it was pretty remarkable you know the team was built to win the AFC Century you had to take down at that time the Steelers who were the king of the king of the hill and they finally got up that hurdle two two years in a row and then uh you know, I didn't get my first start, as I said, uh, till Christmas Day. So I got my first start late in the season as the starting safety. Uh, so 
it was perfect for me in that I got, you know, two or three games under my belt and the game was starting to slow down for me. So, and I was starting to really start moving around a lot faster. I I tell you, (laughs) my first game, maybe my second game, you know, two guys were running by me. I couldn't even told you their, their jersey numbers. (laughs) And then when I, (laughs) yeah, that's seriously. And then as things start to, it took about three games where I really felt like, okay, this is back like at Ball State. Really. And I think that's the difference within why you see some small school guys, if you want to give it that term, not football powers, uh, to being at a football power powerhouse, uh, is that the game, the speed of the game sometimes doesn't slow down for some other guys for whatever reason. Uh, and that really became, it, it stood out to me throughout the time. So then my confidence, just as I was saying earlier, it just kept building. And I said, uh-oh. Now I'm about to dominate. And there was no question in my mind. And I'm talking about a guy from Ball State who got there saying, man, I want to make the practice squad. Now I'm going to dominate within one season. So going against uh, Joe Montana was pretty cool. I thought it was awesome, but I wanted to take him down that time. And he was the best of the best. He was Tom Brady back then. And uh, so, yeah, Joe Montana, man, he was a tough son of a gun. I thought we knocked him out of the game. I couldn't believe he came out at halftime. We we dominated and hit him so many times. I, I couldn't believe it. And he came out there, and in the second half, he just started slinging, at, slinging it around like nothing. It was easy to him, and I, I, I couldn't believe it. And it was still a close game, and they won at the end. But that was probably uh 2000 team with the Titans, and that, that team right there were my probably two best teams I ever owned. Notice I didn't mention the team that went to the Super Bowl. It was a really good team, but we grew as the season went along. Those teams going into the season, we knew we were good, and we knew we were going to the Super Bowl. It didn't happen. Yeah. Bob, more for Blaine? Yeah, Blaine, I just wanted to ask you about your memories of the Astrodome. You know, I grew up in the 70s watching baseball and football on TV. Uh, You know, you saw Nolan Ryan, you saw Bump Phillips, Earl Campbell. The place always looked so dark on TV, and... (laughs) You know, uh, but I love talking to people who played parts of their career there. Uh, give me your memories of it, and what was it like uh, making the transition to Tennessee in '97? Yeah, it was uh, it was tough sledding there. It was like playing on concrete, just you know, lay some turf down <laughs> like you're on the uh, on the putt putt field there. But you know, back then it was the Love You Blue and the Astrodome and, and everything else. So you know, I was just happy to be in the league. Uh, very fortunate that I did not have to play on that the majority of my career. I was so thankful once I got to Tennessee and we played on grass. I really, you know, man, because I, I know some guys where their knees, you know, and I'm a young guy, so it didn't really make a difference at that time to me. But, man, I, I, I firmly believe I had a couple scopes on my knee just because I played on that turf because it was a total bit different deal once we got here to Tennessee. So, yeah, it was time, uh, you know, it was an interesting time in that, uh, you know, but Mr. Adams, the late Mr. Adams, wanted a, a new stadium be built, and I just think they didn't want to build it for him. But <laughs> so mm-hmm. he, he moved, and uh, that was unfortunate because you know Houston's a great city, and uh, you know eventually they got them a new stadium, new owner, and and built the new sa- you know stadium and new team. So uh, it was every everything worked out, I guess, according to the, <laughs> their eyes. And, and oh, by the way, you 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 mentioned playing Joe Montana. That was the only time I got to play against him. I, at that season, I got to play against Elway, Montana, and Marino. And they all were so different. Elway had the big arm. 
he would make throws, throwing across his body. Coach would say, he's not going to do it, and he did it. Dan Marino's release was the quickest I'd ever seen. Uh, and he was also as loud as a linebacker on offense. I felt like I could hear him make calls in the huddle. I, it, he was that loud. He was he was just in control of the entire offense. Uh, and Joe Montana, he was just silky smooth. Nothing around him. The coolest customer you could ever see. I mean, he he. I mean, the way he went about his business, you would have never known uh, that he was just that good. Until you play him, uh, he he just carved you up uh, uh, like he he knew everything you're going to do, and I think that's what happened with him. You know, that first half where we were kind of dominating them, they had Marcus Allen too as well as, as the older players that been in the league a long time, and uh, you know we were like uh, <laughs> guys flying in the night, and then once they figured it out, uh, they start carving us up a little bit, and it, it, it was it was tough for us to kind of. Stop him from having big plays. And finally, Blaine, any guy like yourself that played 10 years in the league, uh, you know, it's a lot of bumps and bruises. And, you know, without getting into your personal health situation, uh, there must be days when you wake up now and, and you say to yourself first, right off the bat, yeah, I played 10 years in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to not think about that when I wake up and I don't feel so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, well, for me, uh, I, I think I, I was really blessed. I, I really took care of my body because I knew I was really uh, putting it through a, a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, rough sledding there down the road. So I think that benefited me a lot. Some of his genes too, but uh, for me right now, uh, at fifty-one, I'm I'm not doing you know so bad. So I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I can still get up, go jog, run, uh, go play basketball. Do a radio show, so and, and I'm talking. And, and by the way, that's eleven surgeries. But oh, no, wow! And and foot, what? Well, but in football terms, uh, I know in the regular world it's a little different. But I had all scopes, and the only thing that was legit that was is I had a shoulder reconstruction twice. And now I, everything is a surgery, surgery. But I had a you know two scopes on my knee for lateral meniscus. Uh, uh, two of for bone spurs on my ankle, or I, uh, I guess a serious one. I had a plate and six screws put in my forearm. I broke my forearm. Uh, yeah, so I did that in the game. Didn't even know it uh, in 97 uh, until the, the guy was standing next to me in overtime. said, hey, man, what's that not on your arm? A trainer. I said, oh, no, I just got bruised. So I don't even know how long I played with it. Uh, dismissed the game. Then came back, played. Now those guys missed about seven, eight games. They, I laughed at that. Like, wow, man. <laughs> so, and then I, I uh, yeah, I, I broke uh, uh, my finger, finger wrist. So, yeah, I, I played with a pass on for three years in a row. So when I say that, I know that's not in the normal world, but in the football NFL world, that that's not really that. The only one that really is is my shoulder. It, it, I mean, I, I need a shoulder replacement. From all that banging I was doing, and probably uh, playing linebacker half the time at, at uh, five nine, <laughs> so and at forty six defense. But everything else is is pretty good. I mean, yeah, there are days I feel stiff or things of that nature. Uh, I can definitely tell you when it's going to rain outside. That's for sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, considering I mean, a lot of people still say, "Oh, mate," and I don't work out like hard or anything like that. I do enough to look like I could, you know. Stay in shape, but I and I'm I'm not 
you know, I look like I can go play, but I'm not, I'm not able to do anything like that. I'll fall apart. There's no way. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, I look the part like I'm in good shape, but I'm really just doing a lot of stretching, light lifting, <laughs> you know, hey. uh, yoga classes and stuff like that. And hot yoga, let's say that, and, you know, just kind of, just trying to, um, hang on there and uh, stay in shape and eat right, eat right too as well. So all those things, uh, which I did as a player too. So I think it's kind of benefit me in the long run. We'll see, you know, here over the next 10 years and see where I'm at. But right now, not too bad. Playing just a couple more before we let you go. And, and one of the things that uh, we wanted to ask defensive backs is when, when the uh, call comes in to get into a prevent defense, as a fan, it drives us crazy because, you know, the old saying, you know, prevent defense prevents you from winning. Do you guys get frustrated? <laughs> like, like, why are, why are we playing, you know, this off defense, letting these guys run down the field, score a touchdown real quick and get these momentum back in the game? Does, does it make sense to you why you get, why you're in a prevent defense or does it frustrate you? Well, I think it depends on the situation. And one is you're playing against the clock. So, I'm not a big fan of it. When I played, our coach, Greg Williams, was an attack guy. So we still ran our defense or we ran some form of a prevent, but it wasn't prevent. We were still attacking. I would say it's more of a cover two scheme with a robber. So, you know, you had to really earn it. Now, you're going to be able to move the ball, but you're going to have to dink and dunk us all the way down. Uh, you're not going to have big plays. You know, the game was different then, too, where uh, they didn't pass as much as they do what we did, you know, the Oilers did at the time. But the Titans weren't big passers. So, you know, they had Eddie George when I was there. and uh, But it gets frustrating because if you're playing against the clock, then if you can afford, if you're up by, you know, more than, uh, you know, seven or eight, I mean, that they're trying to come back from. So I think it's okay. But if you're in a game and, it, and it's a seven-point game and they, if they score and drive up, they score as a tie. I think you got to continue to play your your defense. Uh, so it's a cat and mouse game uh, when you're in this level, but uh, in the NFL, the best of the best. But because it makes players play hesitant and and not to get beat. Meanwhile, you end up not playing as aggressive. Uh, so it, it, it's frustrating, but it's a catch twenty two. You got to feel through it as a coordinator. Uh, but I would probably stick with my defense uh now that they play all this passing game that they do now you're, you're playing those style of defenses anyway so why not just keep doing them right that's what we say as fans yeah Lane, let our well, listeners well, you know, know how they can the listen to your show like, oh yeah i'm on uh here in nashville tennessee uh on uh, 104.5 the zone is blaine and mickey show from one to three uh you can reach me on twitter b bishop 23 uh instagram uh, I guess uh, Blaine Bishop twenty three, uh, and that's that's about it. Well, Blaine, we can't thank you enough for being generous with your time tonight, and coming back and being a part of the show. We hope you'll come back and do it again sometime. A lot of fun. Oh yeah, I, I'll at that time I'll be what uh, two hundred fifty eight <laughs> 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 episode episode. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, much, much, we got to get you back much sooner next time. Ten years was a long yeah. time. <laughs> Always fun, guys, man. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, Blaine. Blaine. All the best to you and your family. Catch up soon. All right. Same to you guys. See you, Blaine. Take care. Bye-bye. Ah, that's, 
That's a great Blaine Bishop. What what a fun guest he was, Bob. I I love the stories. And again, you know, one of the themes of the night is in enthusiasm, right? You get the the positivity, the enthusiasm, the great stories. Loved it. Yeah, in that era where so many great players he played with and against, as you mentioned, Chris, and uh, all I kept thinking was, you know, his shoulder and the shoulder replacement need for and all that. It's because yeah. he tackled correctly, Chris. <laughs> Like, right. you know, he, uh, he wrapped and he tacked he, his shoulder pads, right? I mean, but, uh, yeah, he was a great player. I mean, like I said, once he got established, man, you know, he didn't miss any games. And uh, like our buddy Chris Dishman, and he had a lot of great guys there as tutors, and uh, it surely paid off. All right, when Bob and I come back, we'll be turning on our spotlight on the positive here, which players are out there doing great things in their communities, and then we'll wrap up the show on the other side of this real quick station break. Thursday Night Tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. All right, we're back here on Thursday Night Tailgate, and we're turning on our spotlight on the positive. Bob, who are you putting your spotlight on this week? I'm going to leave it right here in New England this uh, week, Chris. Another one of our Walter Payton Man of the Year honorees from the Patriots is Lawrence Guy this year. And Lawrence Guy, Chris, you know, he's he's been in the league 10, 11 years. I think this is his fifth or sixth in New England, uh, but he's become a fixture here. You know, he uh, hasn't missed any games. I mean, he's just one of those guys... Uh, He's a very, very good player, but, you know, I started reading, you know, the reasons why he was nominated for the, the Pagan Award, and, uh, you know, it's almost mind-boggling. First of all, him and his wife, we got to put his wife, Andrea, in the uh, mix, too, because she helps him out a lot. But every year, at the beginning of the school year, Chris, he fills, uh, he fills backpacks uh, with school supplies, at least 150 of them, and he'll, uh, he'll seek out needy kids you know, in the Massachusetts area and Connecticut area and uh, make sure they get into the right hands. And, you know, he's really into, you know, he he had some learning disabilities uh, back in the day, and he, he's never forgot about that. So he, he just volunteers an awful lot of time to various schools. He's involved in an adopt-a-school program. And ironically, he's uh, adopted a school right up the road from here, Chris, and he's tarred for Connecticut Goodwin Elementary School. Uh, where he basically, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll hop on a Zoom once in a while and talk to the kids and be there, uh, as a, uh, as a role model and just to talk to kids if they want it. Uh, they keep in touch on a regular basis. Uh, around Thanksgiving, he's huge with Thanksgiving. I mean, they said, I think over the last 10, 11 years, Chris, he's given more than, um, 15,000 meals for families at Thanksgiving. Wow. Um, and he's, this lad, this past year, he's uh, provided a lot of meals to the Boys and Girls Club. And uh, he's been known to uh, have another holiday tradition. It's called Shop with a Jock. He actually gave uh, 55 kids, all of them, $400 gift cards each. Uh, and that's just, again, we're only touching the surface of what he does. I mean, the list goes on and on if you go to the Man of the Year section of the NFL site. But uh, he's just that kind of guy. You know, he's, he's got the Lawrence Guy Family Foundation. It, it encompasses a lot of the things I just said. Um, but he's, uh, he's just, everybody up, uh, everyone up here knows how good he is on the field, but they're getting more and more aware of what he's done off. And, uh, you know, it'd be a sad day, 
say when he retires or he leaves New England, but uh, his efforts up here will never be forgotten. So we got to give a shout out to Lawrence Guy tonight. Yeah, fantastic stuff. So many different things that he and his wife are doing through their foundation. So kudos to Lawrence Guy. Great story, Bob. Um, this week, my friend, I'm going to put my spotlight. As you remember last week, I spotlighted the, the Chiefs, Bills, and Giants fans for pouring in money to support the Buffalo local children's hospital following the Chiefs win over the Bills. Chiefs fans were, were donating in increments of $13 for the number of seconds it took the Chiefs offense to tie the game up against the Bills at the end of regulation. Well, this week, my spotlight is on Bengals fans for paying it forward and donating to Harvesters, which is the community food network in Kansas City. They're donating in increments of $9.27, nine being Joe Burrow's number and 27 being the number of points that the Bengals scored on the Chiefs. And through yesterday, their donations helped pay for 6,000 meals for people in need in the Kansas City community. So kudos to the Bengals and their fans for paying it forward and donating to a great cause. And Bob, I just, I just absolutely love this idea and the fact that it seems like it's starting to catch on. I hope that Bengals fans or Rams fans, whichever team ends up coming out on top, keeps the momentum going by donating to the to uh, a worthy cause and needing folks in the uh, other team's uh, community, whichever team comes out, like I say, on the short end. These are the types of things that I really hope, Bob, takes off not only just, you know, in in football and, and carries over into next season, but I'd sure like to see the other major sports start doing the same things, at least when we get to the postseason, by donating to a worthy cause and people in need and the opposite team's community. I think this is a wonderful idea. I'm glad to see it seems like it's starting to catch some momentum, and I hope that momentum carries on, like I say, into uh, the next football season in the NFL, but also into the other major sports. It's just such a win-win opportunity, Bob. Yeah, and as we mentioned last week, Chris, uh, and thanks for bringing that up, it's just a tremendous thing. Uh, As we mentioned last week, you know, all these fans, that are, you know, at each other's throats on game days and on social media and et cetera. You know, you got to take some of that energy and why not, you know, channel it in a positive direction. You know, it's not 100%. about negative energy. Once the game is over, you know, uh, the reason why you're able to watch football is because of good deeds from people. And, uh, but you're right. I mean, uh, again, and if there's anything we can do to keep plugging it, uh, we'll mention it every time we see it. And we definitely hope it continues Absolutely. from here. That's hopefully that it's contagious. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, I love the fact that we're lifting people up. Uh, you know, the, you know, I, you think the theme, right, is hey, the fans are down in this community. They just lost a big game. Let's do something and uh, to lift those spirits up, and let's do it for the folks that really, really need it. Love the idea, and uh, hopefully we hear more about it. And to your point, we will absolutely be reporting on it in our spotlight on the positive going forward. Okay, Bob, it's time for us to put a bow on this episode of Thursday Night Tailgate. Our sincere thanks again to Sean Wooden, Tony Collins, Ed Marinero, and Blaine Bishop for joining us tonight. And as always, Bob, thank you so much for sharing the show with me. You're fantastic, my friend. That was a terrific show, and I I feel the same for you, Chris. That was uh, some good friends and guys that have been on a while, but uh, my goodness, it was a lot of fun tonight. Okay, scheduled to join us next week are our good friend and one of the great rock singers out there, Kevin Chalfont, will be back with us. As will Yale head coach Tony Reno. Looking forward to catching up with Coach Reno. 
Steelers legend and one of our all-time favorite guests here on the show, Rocky Blyer, will be here. And, of course, Tony Collins will be here for our five-star picks of the week. See who Tony picks. And, Bob, I hope that uh, Tony picks the the team that you don't think is going to win so that this thing comes right down to the wire. I'm looking forward to seeing how that whole thing plays out. You can follow us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CT Mascaro. Bob is at Bob underscore Lizzeri, and the show is at TNT Podcast. Please visit us on Facebook. Both Bob and I have our own Facebook pages, plus we've got a page for the show, Thursday Night Tailgate. Give us a like. That's very important to us. Plus, check out our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com, to stay up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And you can find the show available as a podcast on just about every major podcasting site and app out there. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes. If you've got a favorite podcasting app, we're probably on there as well. Just type Thursday Night Tailgate into the search bar. You'll find us there too. Bob, take us home, my friend. All right. I look forward to next week, Chris. And uh, tonight we want to thank our announcer, Joe Lajanusa, for the great job he always does with our intro and ads. We also want to thank Kyle Turley and the Kyle Turley Band for the upcoming outro music. On behalf of myself and Chris, we want to thank everyone tonight for listening. We appreciate you the most. Until next week, good night, Kevin. Good night, Terry. Good night, Rusty. And good night, Coach Reeves. We miss you guys. Coming down the mountain, I take a breath of sin. Can't tell the day or time, but I know this day will end. On a mission I can't